1: New episodes drop every other Tuesday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast app of choice. Check out Music of the Mat only on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network.
0: What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. TNA is the best wrestling in the whole world. Oh, shit! It's Vince Russo! Oh, yeah, you can to be king, king, king of these nuts. You know what <laughs> I TNA is my world. Welcome to Planet Jared. You will feel the power. Period. P.D. Williams is an amazing athlete. This is BS. This sucks. I've lost my objectivity, and I don't give a damn.
1: Welcome, everybody, to You've Got To Be Kidding Me, episode number 30. We are a TNA history podcast that covers TNA one month at a time. This episode, we're covering October, November, technically two months, all the way up to Victory Road 2004, the first three-hour Sunday pay-per-view. I'm Garrett Kidney. I'm joined, as always, by Liam Jones. Liam, it's a pay-per-view.
2: I know, right? It's a proper, for-real pay-per-view. None of these- Who would have thought we'd ever see the day... <laughs>
1: None of these shitty, small, two-hour weekly shows on pay-per-view. Get-out-of-here, ten-buck shows. Not TV disguised as a pay-per-view. Well, well actually, when you think about it, there's, there's a little TV disguised as a pay-per-view on that pay-per-view when you look at it, like, the top to bottom of it.
2: To me, that felt like a pay-per-view.
1: There's, like, a middle hour of it that has the Roddy segment that has the dusty segment that's like, this is, like, not fully TV on pay-per-view. But it's not not fully TV on pay-per-view.
2: I don't know. To me, watching that show, it felt like a for-real-deal pay-per-view.
1: Mm, so we'll get into all things Victory Roto for Aunt Rodney Savage and Hulk Hogan, again, uh, coming up in, in a little bit. But before we get into that, before we get down to business, how are you doing?
2: I'm doing fine. Life continues to go on.
1: Mm-hmm. Liam is incredibly gotten to because someone once gave out to him about giving out about the weather on the podcast. <laughs> and before we started, he's like, It's so hot, but now he's he's like in his head about whether or not he can give out about how hot it is on the podcast. I'm
2: saving it for when it's really, really hot. Like it's hot, but it's not I'm dying here hot yet. Mm. And you gotta remember, it's probably twenty five outside, but in this room it's about thirty.
1: <laughs> yeah, you you ramp that heat up. You suffer for this podcast
2: yeah well it's because i'm in a room with no ventilation and i have a pc
1: running if you don't end these three occasionally four hour recordings with some degree of heat stroke are you really podcasting
2: oh there was some times where i would leave these podcasts like disgusting like (laughs) covered in sweat
1: you've earned it then you've really earned it you're a podcaster
2: And then Garrett's like, oh, in the third hour you get tired. And it's like, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've lost 70% of my body weight as I've sweated it out.
1: Yeah, it's a workout. It's, it's, it serves multiple purposes.
2: Mm. I, I want to talk about the A24 Von Erichs movie real quick. Go for it. Um, I find it incredibly interesting. It might be my most anticipated like, movie coming up. The one thing I'm, like, very curious about is they got the dude from Shameless and from The Bear on Disney to play Kerry, and that dude's, like, five foot two, <laughs> mm-hmm. and Kerry was not five foot two, so I'm very interested in what, like, cinematic movie magic they used to make him look tall.
1: <laughs> a lot of Andre the Giant tactics. Filming from below, mm-hmm. standing on boxes, all that stuff. Yeah, like,
2: is he gonna be standing on a box when he's in a, when he's in a scene with... Fucking Ephron,
1: well, Ephron's not that tall himself, is he? He's like six foot tops, right?
2: yeah, but like he's still like got eight inches on, lip. which is
1: still substantially <laughs> taller than the other guy. You're not wrong, but still,
2: yeah, so, and like I assume Kerry was like on par with Kevin,
1: like I think they've nailed the aesthetics of that movie based on everything I've seen so far,
2: yeah, Kevin and Kerry are the same height,
1: mm. so yeah, a lot of boxes and film tricks.
2: Yeah, I'm also excited to see if uh jeremy allen White I'm very curious if he's also
1: gassed to the gills. They'll just conveniently shoot every scene where in the same room where one of them is standing and one is sitting,
2: yeah, like it's gotta be some stuff like that right Because like, I haven't even seen a photo from him for this goddamn movie yet
1: mm. yeah it's like what what's this movie I know the, the Von Eric says it has, has a very clear end point <laughs> tragically yeah. But, like, what's this movie actually going to be about? Is it just going to be, like, wrestling, drugs, death? Is that just going to be it?
2: Well, it's the biopic, so I imagine that's that's where it all ends.
1: Hmm. Have they cast the fabulous Freebirds yet? Because I'm going to need to see a Michael Hayes in this movie.
2: Yeah.
1: Because <laughs> I feel like if you do a Von Erichs movie, you have to have the Freebirds in it, right?
2: Oh, they'll be in it. This Will they be main characters, or will they just be, like, mentioned in the background for scenes and shit? like? Mm. Um. Seems like we only got the actual Von
1: Eric's cast. Announce your freaking <laughs> Michael Hayes. There's nothing I want more. Yeah. Um. My favorite thing is like
2: seeing, like the discussing films post, and then everyone in the comments posting like the the soulless Mister Incredible meme, <laughs> and they're just like people who
1: know <laughs> how this ends. Mm. It's like the Titanic for wrestling fans.
2: I think it's worse. I think it's, like...
1: I don't think it's worse than the Titanic. I don't think it's...
2: <laughs> I mean, it's definitely more, like, tragic. Like, a big ship blow up. Versus, <laughs> like, everyone dying with incredibly, like, depressing individual deaths. As a film, that is a structure that is more... that is brings itself more to being, like, depressing. People also died in the ship incident, Liam. Yeah, but, like... Oh, that's what I'm saying, it's like, alright, you know how we were talking about on the on the podcast about the principle of sitting on one nail versus <laughs> sitting on a lot of nails?
1: Yeah, we were talking about that in the watch-along, which you can listen to at com.
2: It's like, the Von Ericks are like sitting on one nail, then another nail, then another nail, and the Titanic's like sitting on one big nail. Like, like, oh, sorry, a bunch of nails. Like, it doesn't, it's not bad in comparison. I'm looking at the IMDB to see who was cast
1: here. It's 1500 nails, just to be precise. Sure. Just just, just 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 so you know. Just you know. But I'm I'm interested to see what this film actually ends up being.
2: They have cast their Harley Race, then their Bruiser Brody.
1: Who's their Harley Race?
2: Uh, Kevin Anton.
1: Good for him. Who's their Bruiser Brody?
2: Kazi Lewis Carigno?
1: Also good for him. I don't know who either of those people are. Maybe I would recognise their faces.
2: Kevin Anton was a henchman on the hit television series Gotham.
1: I watched like five episodes of Gotham. Mm-hmm. Then I got bored. I've seen
2: all of Gotham.
1: Did you also get bored?
2: Nah, at points probably. Mm. This guy seems familiar. I want to see if he's in anything I know. Oh my God, he was in Grimm.
1: I watched like three seasons of Grimm. I liked that show until it got too repetitive. It he he seems to do,
2: be a lot of a uh, lot of stunt stuff. Big stunt guy. This guy.
1: I couldn't tell you anything about those three seasons of Grimm.
2: What about can you tell me about the character of Harold Big Johnson for six episodes?
1: Nope. And I probably like I probably watched the show while he was there and like now nah, it's gone. There's people who have tremendous recall for shows and movies they watched and there's me who's like the second it's gone out of my mind it's gone forever. Couldn't tell you the lead character's name of Grimm, couldn't tell you the real plot of Grimm other than it's about monsters and fairy tales kind of. It's about Grimm's fairy tales. That's the name of the show. That's pretty easy to infer. And that, like, I I, I don't know anything about it anymore. And I watched it like three seasons. It's not like, you know, Gotham dabbled for a few episodes, wasn't interested. Like, I was committed to this show for... Three seasons would be the the bones of two years, I guess. Well, three years, really. And don't remember a thing about it. Gone.
2: I have a pretty good recollection for media that I've watched.
1: Hmm. You see, I save all the space for TNA facts.
2: Oh, that's fair. Lily James is in this. Who's she playing? I think. I assume she's going to be the Kevin love interest, but she mm. doesn't have a name here. But uh, she was really good in Baby Driver, so
1: it's going to be pretty heartbreaking for her. I think.
2: No, oh, it depends if she latches onto the right Von
0: Erich.
1: <laughs> it's true. <laughs> All right. Other than the Von Eric movie, what else is going on in your life? I've discovered a newfound love of melted cheese sandwiches. Not that I didn't have a love of them in the first place, but I realized through my life I've been over toasting toast to my preferences, mm. and I prefer a lightly toasted toast. And I've only discovered this mm. recently. And I'm like, what I've been, what have I been doing with my life?
2: I think that's an important um, life discovery to work out.
1: Exactly how you like your toast?
2: See, I'm I'm a diverse toastman. Go on. I I can do a lightly toasted, or I can do a, like, fucking borderline on burnt, and I'm
1: happy. If I were to ask you to go make toast right this second, which would you make for yourself now?
2: I think I'd go near burnt. Ooh. I I love a near burnt toast with, like, Vegemite on it, because it's just, like, powering your senses. It's like a punch in the fucking face.
1: You're a monster, is what you're saying. (laughs) (laughs) He doesn't deny it. I've ever, never actually had Vegemite, so I can't tell whether I'm one of the people that will love or hate Vegemite, but yeah, I don't know. You never know. Depends
2: how much you put on it.
1: Oh, so, you're, uh, so if you like slather it in Vegemite, you won't like it?
2: No. <laughs> these fucking Americans on these goddamn <laughs> YouTube videos, they're like, oh, let's try some Vegemite, and either they just fucking chuck a, a spoon in the fucking thing, mm. or they spread it like it's goddamn chocolate. When they, it's it's not, it's not a sweet thing that you can just slather on there. Like, you get your butter on there to cut it a little bit, and then you get like a tiny little piece and you make an even spread across. It's very simple. And then eventually, once your body is used to taking on a gigantic amount of salt, you can increase it.
1: <laughs> so you have to build up the Vegemite tolerance over time. Well,
2: if you want to go to that extreme of like slathering it on, yeah, you don't start off at the hundred.
1: How long do you think it would take to build up the slathering extreme tolerance?
2: I don't know. I do not know. I think you could do it pretty quickly. Mm. Hmm. Like, if you're eating it every day, give it like a month, I don't know. (laughs) Gradual increase.
1: Uh, That should be Patreon content. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think it'd be very interesting. (laughs) The Vegemite Tolerance Builder. Hmm. Just every day I have a little bit more Vegemite and it's... No, that feels like TikTok content. It has like, it's like 15 seconds every day of me just nibbling on something with Vegemite being like, a little bit more today. Nom, nom, nom.
2: Becoming a Vegemite enjoyer. Day one.
1: uh on the topic of patreon you can head over to tnachat.com or patreon.com slash kidding me if you would like to support the show a little more you'll get our wrestling society x series our full ring King series our full global force wrestling series our full monday night wars series our ongoing rain taker series our recent aew and ring of honor draft the poll of which is still open you can go to twitter and vote in the poll i think you're currently winning but, it was but who's quite winning
2: my... in a, who's winning that poll right now
1: I think it was five four to you last time I checked, so it's it's tight.
2: Uh, it's definitely more than that now.
1: Go on, go on, give us a live poll update.
2: Oh, I have to go to the. You've got to be kidding! But it's sixty three point six percent, Liam.
1: Let me call up Scott Hudson and he can give us the the, the election results. Yeah,
2: yeah, we're still waiting on the results from <laughs> Connecticut or whatever.
1: Yeah, there's there's a server overload in Connecticut, and, and, you know, our home territories of Cork and Mildura are locked down, but we're battling over Belgium. Yeah. So you could go to dot patreon.com, slash me. listen to our full draft, and then vote on who has the superior draft and or card, whichever way you want to vote on. It's me. Uh, Liam was very nice to my card while we were doing it, and now he's like, no, it's me, you suck. Well, no,
2: now I'm in campaigning mode. I never tore down your card once today. I just said that mine's better.
1: Mm. Could at least say mine was good.
2: Yours was, yeah,
1: good. Oh, the, yeah, there just breaks. That's like cuts right through me. <laughs> Yours was like, yeah, 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 it's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, buddy. Yeah, bud. You do a good job. Just keep getting higher pitched while you're telling me how good I am at my drafting. I'm undefeated on you've got to be kidding me drafts. I
2: don't know. Is that true?
1: Well, we've done two. I won two.
2: Did you win two?
1: The two official NWATNA drafts of O2 and O3, I defeated you. And soundly, might I add. I thought one of them was close. Either way, I still won. And you have to drag us into the world of AEW in order to try and break my drafting streak. It is petty malice, some might say.
2: I just I just like to draft.
1: So yeah, Patreon. Like, 15, 20 hours of work goes into just this podcast for me, never mind the actual Patreon content. So, you know, anything you can throw away is nice. Patreon.com slash getting me. So, Liam, October, November 2004, taking us all the way up to November 7th, Victory Road. I have three questions for you I would like you to answer in succession. The first... I'm excited. I'm ready. Let's go. How do you feel about the Victory Road card? As, like, a card including all the like talkie segments for their first 3-hour pay-per-view.
2: Subtracted away from the build?
1: No, build will be question number 2. So just the card, just the succession of the matches. The card itself
2: I th- I think is fine. I I think AJ PD on paper is very interesting. Mm-hmm. I think the Triple X AMW stuff on paper is interesting. Uh I think the main event is
1: Decent for that show. Do you think it's the right main event, Jared Hardy, in a ladder match?
2: If it has to have Jared in it, yes.
1: Not Monty? No, it's Jeff.
2: you got to have Jeff. If, it, like, in, in an ideal world, Jeff won the last match, I'd just take like, Jeff Monty. But if Jared has to be in it, I'm, I think Jeff's the right
1: opponent. Mm. Well, I suppose especially for the first three-hour Sunday pay-per-view, Jeff... Is there with Raven as the guys who are there regularly, who have the most name value. Well,
2: that, yeah, that's another one. I, I, I do think the Monsters' Bowl match is a really good match on paper, too. The tag match is bad on paper. You don't like the three live crew? Oh, <laughs> what a shocking development. Yeah. I don't know if, like, the the 4v4 was even, like, promoted...
1: They did mention it. They didn't mention who was in it. Actually, on television, they did mention there's an eight man tag when Johnny B. Bad had a match on the Go Home show, and he, they mentioned Johnny B. Bad would be in the eight man tag, but didn't say what the eight man tag would be.
2: Okay, well then that's irrelevant to this point.
1: And I think the X Division Gauntlet was like a good
2: is something that definitely should have been on this show. So I think on if I had to give it a grade, mm-hmm. I'd give it like a a B minus.
1: To be fair, I wasn't paying enough attention to the scroll. On the go-home show, they might have listed the 8-man tag there, but I wasn't paying attention to it. Well,
2: if they did list it, then I'm giving it a C (laughs) (laughs) plus.
1: No, stick with (laughs) B-minus. So, you better hope they didn't announce it. To be fair, that 8-man tag was meant to be Killings and Dusty against Cash in Dallas, but again, Kid Cash had a month, which we will talk about in a moment. So, B-minus for the card itself.
2: For the card on paper.
1: I think I, I broadly agree. It's like you get your X Division flippy do match. You get your defining tag team feud with Triple X and AMW. Like Hardy is probably the right guy for the main event. I would have thought about Monty. And I would have thought about Raven. But Raven's probably too cold at the moment. It would have needed a longer build. Also, Raven's a heel. And if you were going to do Monty, Monty probably has to win. So if you want Jarrett to retain, Hardy's probably the right guy.
2: I maybe would have done Jeff versus Raven as the main event, and then had Monty beat Jarrett on the undercard.
1: That would require Jarrett losing multiple matches. Yeah. (laughs) Good luck with that one.
2: (laughs) Ah, you know.
1: Yeah, Styles and PD is like the first time ever X-Division dream match. You know, the up-and-comer champion versus the guy who's the established X-Division guy. That makes sense. You get your minis match just for variety. You do get the tease of the Outsiders, which brings mainstream appeal. You do get the Roddy Piper segment, which brings mainstream appeal. You might not love it, but those guys are stars and names and will attract some attention on pay-per-view. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Like, uh, low B. Maybe as high as a B. No, no, B- minus feels right.
2: Yeah, if it had like a... See, I can't get too mad at, because this is just on paper talking about it, I can't get too mad at Jarrett and Hardy, but not a match that excites me personally.
1: At the very least, it's a ladder match. It's Hardy's first ladder match in TNA. You get a little bit of, like, pull from that. There's a little spice to it. Alright, so we've talked card. How do you feel about build?
2: I think I'd go as far as a a B to a B-plus on the build.
1: Mm, You did learn, comprehensively, that P. D. Williams is an amazing athlete. (laughs)
2: <laughs> well, Garrett, did you know that Petey Williams is an amazing athlete and the first X-Division champion with a deadly weapon that no one has been able to survive, the Canadian Destroyer?
1: I'm going to wake up in a fever dream in like six months and just hear the words, Petey Williams is an amazing athlete.
2: So for those of you who don't know, we saw, I think we have a new contender for most played vignette. Ever. Throughout the entire like
1: series. History of wrestling. Never mind this series. Ever. <laughs> A minimum of seven times in six weeks. They played this. Because, yeah, it's, it's a nice idea that, you know, it's like TNAwrestling.com presents a feature about Victory Road and it's like, it'd be great if they had more than one. They didn't. They played the same one. Or over if they and- didn't run, like, three of these features in a row on one of the episodes. Including, like, they ran this Styles and PD package twice on one of these episodes. And I'm like, guys, please, please, I don't want to hear the words PD Williams is an amazing athlete ever again.
2: Yeah, I have, like, PTSD about it. But overall, I actually really thought the build to this was good. Mm -hmm. I thought they gave a lot of time to everything. It kind of proves our point uh, from a few months ago that wrestling should probably just be TV building to a big event because I think all the shows benefited from this structure. Unless you're doing, like, a New Japan, like, touring schedule. But I think that the main event was well built, even though it wasn't necessarily built around the match as much. There was, I think it, I think it was a 50-50. I don't think it was like 70 Outsiders, 30 Hardy, because like once Hardy won the the number one contendership, they did start building pretty heavily to the actual match. I think that the, the X Division stuff had like fumbled a little bit at the start, but throughout the attacks and the build, I think they got the Team Canada AJ stuff feeling good. I think that the, the tag match... That should have been the title match. AMW and Triple X was really well built throughout. I thought they did an interesting story, but obviously not a great payoff there. The title match, who gives a shit, uh, kind of thrown together it feels like, but whatever. I think the Roddy Piper, although problematic, was pretty decently built to his segment.
1: Problematic in so many ways in the end.
2: Yeah. I honestly, I think um, even like, I think TNA like sometimes falls into this uh, pothole of I'm just, we're just going to go out there and throw the, the X-Division Multiman on the show with no real build. Like, even this had build. It was only a couple matches, but you got to see everyone in the lead-up to the X-Division Gauntlet. So I think that was well done as well.
1: Yeah, because when you look at like the build to the X-Division Gauntlet, which we'll get into beat for beat, but they spent a few weeks announcing competitors, and then a few weeks of those competitors having matches, the matches of which had stakes. So, yeah, pretty good job to even make that feel at least somewhat important. I I love the monsters ball build. Hmm. It's just
2: these three dudes
1: murdering each other every week. So B for the build, B minus for the card itself, and then without getting into specifics, which we'll go through all the specifics later. Gut feeling after the pay per view: thumbs up, thumbs down, success, failure. Um, hmm. the complicated question, isn't it? It's a complicated show.
2: <laughs> if I were to give it a grade, it and I will it would be a passing grade, mm-hmm. but not a grade that you run home to mom and show her. Like a C?
1: Yeah, because there's like energy to the show, unlike a lot of the Asylum shows, even the big ones.
2: Oh, this, this immediately this felt like, the Asylum shows felt incomparable. Like this, this show felt so much bigger and more important than anything they've done. With the exclusion of maybe the Raven Jarrett main event.
1: It helps that it's in the impact zone, in like the, the more aesthetically pleasing building. It helps that that crowd was like fully invested in this night as being a special important night in company history. So there was great energy around the show. Even the throwaway tags the crowd crowder into them all. It's not a show that was built for, I think, the likes of you and me to come away from it being, like, you know, great match after great match, even though there are some very good matches on this show. But it's not like that home run, four great matches you'll be talking about for the rest of your life kind of show.
2: It wasn't an NXT takeover, you know?
1: Yeah, it's more like, here's a little bit of everything, and a lot of that is good, and then some of it is not so good.
2: I don't know, I'm sure it was comparable to, like, any Fed pay-per-view at the
1: time. Probably even better than most. Like, oh three oh four is a bad period for WWE. It's not good, so...
2: Yeah, I, I, don't, I wouldn't, like, agree with anyone saying that this was, like, an awful pay-per-view.
1: Mm. And I think, it like, it's better than most Asylum pay-per-views. I, I came out of most Asylum pay-per-views thinking bad shows, bad company, occasional good things. And I come out of this one being like, if I were here in, in November 2004, and I plumped down my money and I watched this pay-per-view, I'd be like, I'll probably come back next month.
2: Well, it also wasn't boring, Mm. which is like the biggest thing, where most of those Asylum shows were just dull, and this one, this did feel like uh, an event.
1: Yeah, especially the last year of the Asylum in particular, we've we've covered that to death. We can leave it behind us in the NWA era.
2: Mm.
1: All right, we'll talk much more about Victory Road when we get into the matches and stories themselves, but uh, let's get into the news first. So the big note from Victory Road, the final point, the debut of the macho man Randy Savage strolls out at the end of the show, points at Hall Nash, and Jarrett and that's it, that's our hook for TV. But because it's TNA Liam, you cannot have somebody like Randy Savage showing up without drama. I mean, I would be disappointed if there wasn't drama. So we talked extensively back in 03 About how TNA wanted to bring in Hulk Hogan. About how TNA wanted to build their first three-hour Sunday pay-per-view around Hulk Hogan. That he was meant to wrestle Jeff Jarrett. They delayed that Bound for Glory three times before cancelling it because Hogan wasn't going to show up. Well, guess who showed up to Victory Road 04, Liam? Yeah. The Hulkster himself was just hanging around.
2: (laughs) Didn't want to come hang out?
1: Didn't want to go shoot a segment? Oh, so Randy Savage made a surprise appearance at the end of TNA's Victory Road pay-per-view after negotiations with Sting fell through. They wanted a lot of people. Uh, They didn't get them all, (laughs) but they wanted DDP for these shows too, but couldn't get him in time. He showed up on TV though. Savage was supposed to come in in what was supposed to be like the beginning of a main event run. Two days later, he cancelled his TV taping appearance, citing the involvement of Hulk Hogan in TNA as his reason. Hogan was invited to attend the TNA pay-per-view near his Florida home by TNA owner Bob Carter, father of TNA president Dixie Carter. When Hogan arrived, he bumped into Savage. Savage and Hogan have had a love-hate relationship, which we documented on Patreon because we reviewed the Be A Man album... (laughs)
2: Be a man Hulk.
1: Great song. All-time diss track. But they've had a love-hate relationship over the years. Mostly hate on Savage's side since Hogan's wife Linda provided a safe haven for Savage's then-wife Elizabeth when she was separated from him. Hogan told Savage backstage something to the effect of You know I've always got your back, bro. Savage snap back. Yeah, that check will clear. <laughs> <laughs> there was like reports that maybe they had a scuffle, but that doesn't seem to be the case. Uh, Savage walked away and avoided Hogan for the rest of the night. Hogan, once again, is like, negotiating with TNA, but potentially coming on board. But there, apparently there wasn't serious talks about him actually appearing on camera at, at Victory Road. you think that he's such a glory hound that he'd just do it. Especially like, this is a success story for the company, and all of a sudden Hulkster's there, you know, smelling like blood in the water. There's a tension for me now, as opposed to these shitty asylum shows. Yeah. Savage, now 52, informed Jeff Jarrett late on Tuesday afternoon he wasn't going to attend that evening's taping as scheduled, saying he wouldn't work with TNA as they were working with Hogan. As of last word, TNA had apparently soothed over the problem with Savage and expected him to return to TV the following week. So, you get the debut of the Macho Man, you get what is like legitimately like a great moment to end the pay-per-view on, a big like hook that the Macho Man Randy Savage, one of the biggest stars in professional wrestling of the 20 years prior, has debuted even though he's 52 and not looking quite like the Macho Man anymore. He looks like
2: Jeff Jarrett Last Outlaw.
1: <laughs> he does! He did, that's where, clearly, Jarrett got the look from. He also looks like Bonesaw from the Spider-Man films. Striking resemblance.
2: If he uh, wrestled, he should have won. The bone saw. Yeah. He
1: should have done the bone
2: saws, really? Catchphrase. His classic catchphrase. That,
1: that everybody knows and loves from Sam Raimi Spider-Man.
2: That's uh, everyone's favourite Randy Savage line.
1: <laughs> it's still, it's Randy Savage, big star, and in typical TNA fashion, it blows up in their face because fucking Hulk Hogan finally decided to show up. They should have just not invited Hulk. They should have moved on. Well, especially when you get Savage. It's like Savage agrees to appear... Like, not just show up, not just hang around backstage. He agrees to be part of the product in a main event push. Seems to be into it. And, like, that's your program moving forward, Savage and Jarrett, for as good as that's worth. And you blow it up mm-hmm. in his face immediately by inviting him in. Like, he claims he felt double-crossed that the TNA was an unsafe work environment. There was also some, like, thought that he was looking for an out, that he agreed to do the one-off payday for, I think was 25 grand, was the number reported, for the... <laughs> and all he does is walk out for 40 seconds. And he... it also,
2: it's not like he's selling pay-per-views. They didn't promote it.
1: Yeah, it was a surprise. So I guess the idea is, to come back the next month with the big savage match to hook everybody, which is probably not the worst idea.
2: Well, then sign him to a two-appearance deal at minimum.
1: <laughs> well, that's classic TNA, because they do the same thing with DDP. DDP's first appearance is also without a deal. Great. There's also a bunch of hand this month about them starting to mention Hall and Nash on TV, also before they had actually put pen to paper. Yeah, well, worked out. <laughs> that worked out fine, but this company learns absolutely nothing. <laughs> so, yeah, so, some thought Savage was like l- taking the payday and then looking for an excuse to back away. Something he did do with the the World Wrestling All Stars, a-, a cursed company that we may be talking about more towards Christmas with our friends yeah, over yeah. In Days of Thunder. But that's our fault for putting on TV without a contract.
2: You're gonna say it's our own fault for getting involved with Days of Thunder?
1: <laughs> oh, it is. They-, they them throwing slander my way on their recent episode. Uh, clearly I, I shall use my platform here to retaliate and not plug a large largemanappears.com. Yeah, and uh, make a, a horrific rumour about one of them. Dave likes Elon Musk. That's the best I can come up with. Which is a horrific rumour in its own right.
2: is a notorious royalist.
1: Oh, that will hurt Dave, personally. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
2: you know what I heard? Oh, go on. Garrett, I heard that Dave was... At Queen Lizzie's funeral, and was one of those, uh, I was hanging out with one of those Tories in like his button up shirt, and they were, and he was crying on camera.
1: He was one of those who stood in line for like 27 hours just to see her in in rest.
2: Yeah, I heard Dave had protected tweets where he was going after anyone that was making light of Queen
1: Lizzie's death. Oh, the Christmas episode's gonna be fun this year. (laughs) Depends if they hear this. (laughs) Observers say there were no serious talks about having Hogan appear on camera at the pay-per-view despite internet reports of the contrary. Hogan spent some time talking with TNA owners Dixie and Bob Carter, whom witnesses describe as marking out for Hogan. They were marking out all show, too. Oh, yeah, because you could see them. They were, what, third row in the actual stand? So you have the pit, and then you have the stand in front of it. They were, like, third row. If you watch the spot where Abyss is power powerbombed to thumbtacks for the first time in TNA history, in the Monster's Ball, there's actually a reaction shot of Dixie in there. Fair play to the the cameraman who
2: got that shot.
1: She was very concerned. It's actually very funny to think about, like, that was an era where no one really knew what Dixie looked like. Well, we only picked up on it because we know now. Yeah, so she wasn't a television character, obviously, at that stage. She was long from being a television character, five years away. But also, she just wasn't, like, a particularly visible public figure. So she could probably sit in the crowd. I'd imagine some people would be like, you know, that's that's the owner of the company. But it's not, like, a thing that, like, she couldn't do that in 2010 without drawing serious attention. She'd sit in, like, the front row in those days on the opposite side of the hard camera, as opposed to, like, being literally in the crowd on the hard camera side. hmm Fun little Easter egg. Hogan arrived at the pay-per-view in a decked-out Mercedes that impressed nearly everybody. He rode to the pay-per-view with Brian Knobs. <laughs> Savage, on the other hand, arrived with Brian Adams of Chronic Battle of the Brian Entourage. What is this
2: motherfucker's
1: deal with trying
2: to get Brian Knobs into this
1: goddamn company? <laughs> get into every company he's ever worked. In fairness, there's one thing you can say about Hogan. He's loyal to his guys. Even if his guys are fucking dog shit.
2: He's loyal to his guys until he's not.
1: Uh, he's loyal to Eric and... and frickin' Brutus Beefcake <laughs> and Brian Knobs Yeah,
2: I'm really excited to relive those those
1: eras. We'll have more drama with Savage coming up, going into Turning Point, so you can look forward to that next month. But he does come back, so there's that. It would be a lot funnier if he walked out at the end of your big first three hour pay per view, your big moment is Randy Savage is here, and then he's never seen again. <laughs>
2: I'd be down for it.
1: Which would be the ultimate tribute to the Asylum of of people showing up and never being seen again.
2: Yeah, that would be kind of a, a nice little bow on it all.
1: Remember Gorgeous George at the end of The King of the Mountains? Like, Jarrett wins the belt? I, I do. They cut to Gorgeous George in the crowd, and she's seen, like, one other time also in the crowd before disappearing.
2: That's good, t- that's good times. Vader, Road Warriors.
1: So, you asked me a question on the watch-along. Why wouldn't you pull the trigger on Jeff Hardy? Turns out there's a pretty good reason these days. We mentioned that when you sign Jeff Hardy at this stage of his career, you absolutely know positively he's going to burn you.
2: Or, apparently any stage of his career.
1: Well, that's true too. But here, he begins to burn TNA. Jeff Hardy was a no-show for the September 28 TNA tapings, which would have been the first impact of October. Office personnel attempted to reach him by phone several times, but he did not return their calls. Jeff Jarrett was said to be very upset by Hardy's absence, not so upset to take him out of the pay-per-view main event. Wrestlers say that Hardy entered the company with the right attitude, he sold several people, he was excited to be there and was motivated for the first time since leaving WWE. However, in more recent weeks, he quietly complained to his friends, saying that he no longer enjoys himself because he felt like he was there to put over Jarrett. He felt used, reported one locker room observer. Hardy did show up as scheduled to the tapings later in the month to tape his number one contender matches. Basically, listen, he has a point. <laughs> he is very much there as a guy to amplify Jarrett, but also, if you're going to start no showing, and like this isn't the first time he's been a little unreliable in TNA. Fair enough, he hasn't no showed yet. This is his first of well, become what will become multiple no shows. Uh, you you can't invest in a guy you can't rely on. And if there's anybody TNA can rely on right now, it is the co-founder of the company, Jeff Jarrett. I mean, in a sense, like he'll be there. That's like, he'll, he'll be at the shows, which I guess that's the bar. That's the bare minimum. Even though Jeff Hardy no-showed the taping, the decision was made to go with Jared versus Hardy at Victory Road rather than Monty Brown versus Jarrett. Brown is said to be taking being pulled from the title match well as he seems to understand that he lacks the name recognition that Hardy possesses, which is important for their first Sunday night pay-per-view. Monty still feels good about his role in the company and knows that his time as a main eventer will come eventually. Don't laugh. I'm more sad than laughing. <laughs> I guess he, he is a main eventer.
2: Yeah, like, that's the thing. Like, he clearly is a top echelon guy in the company. He's just not Jeff Jarrett. (laughs) Mm,
1: And never becomes Jeff Jarrett. Uh, Hardy says he left a miserable company to come to another miserable company. (laughs)
2: Big, uh, big Andrade tweeting energy.
1: When Jeff Hardy showed up at the October 5th Impact tapings after having no showed the previous week without calling out of time, no big deal was made of it by anybody. The feeling is that it was an issue between Hardy and management, and based on Jarrett and Hardy getting along and hanging out together during and after the tapings, a week after his no-show, it was obvious all was forgiven between them.
2: Sure. We'll see how that plays out.
1: Mm, sure will. <laughs> He was also late to a bunch of tapings this month, so it wasn't an isolated incident. Jeff Hardy was a day late to tapings last week. It was for the October 26th tapings. Company officials wanted Hardy to arrive in Orlando on Monday like everybody else does, but he didn't arrive at the building un- until after the tapings had started. It would be one thing to be like, I'm not going to arrive on the Monday for the Tuesday tapings. I'll come in Tuesday morning. But no, he's like, I'll show up after the tapings have started. Fashionably late. Jarrett and the other management members were understandably in panic mode as they had invested heavily in Hardy as it pertains to the Victory main event. When asked if TNA officials confronted Hardy about his tardiness, one wrestler said he did not think so, nor did he think it would have done any good. How can you confront somebody who doesn't care? Asked the wrestler. You can't get through to somebody like that.
2: Sure. We'll see how it all goes, but that's the Jeff Hardy uh, principle, you
1: know? Yeah, especially at this stage of his career where, as mentioned, they know... He's not the most reliable person in the world, but they need him, and they put him in a high-profile spot. I also asked him to lose a bunch, so I guess this is what you get.
2: Yeah, Garrett.
1: <laughs> yes, Liam.
2: It's the end of an era.
1: We had the the end of Goldilocks in the September episode. Now October, November. Vince Russo notified company officials that he is resigning from his creative role within the company. In the next 30 days, basically, that the November 7th Victory Road pay-per-view would be his final night.
2: I am crying. I am depressed. Mm-hmm. I have locked myself in my room. I refuse to leave my bed. I I don't know how to go on watching this promotion. I'm devastated. My vote didn't count. The the election was rigged. Uh, I just... I don't know... I don't know how to live in a world without Vince Russo. Yeah, I met Vince Russo once.
1: Oh, did you? I was at Bound for Glory 2010, where I was there with my brother... And we were just walking through the halls of the hotel where there were a bunch of wrestlers because we were staying in the same hotel because it was part of the, the fan experience or whatever you call it. The travel package for Bound for Glory. And, awful. And, I, and my brother said to me, if we ever see Vince Russo, I have to take a picture with him with the like biggest smile on my face I can muster. <laughs> and literally we rounded the corner and who else did we run into but Vince Russo.
2: Did you take the photo?
1: Damn right I took the photo of me and Vinnie Roo. Oh, please upload that photo. I'll upload the photo after this episode goes up. My brother's actually been pestering me to tell that story for like 18 months worth of TNAs. He's like, ever since Russo showed up. Also, this means this is the episode where the Oh Shit It's Vince Russo is taken out of the open. This will be the last one that's in there.
2: Oh my. we'll have to find... Something just as impactful.
1: Yeah, so that, that's also the end of an era. We're also changing the theme song for this episode, not just like the, the, the clips, but the theme song will go to the Impact theme song now rather than the, the pay-per-view theme song.
2: You should put in the clip of me calling Dave a royalist.
1: <laughs> P.D. Williams is an amazing athlete. Dave's a fucking royalist. <laughs> yeah,
2: it should just be that if, like, over and over again. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't want to put people through that. We've already suffered enough.
2: <laughs> yeah, with the loss of Vince Russo. <laughs>
1: He told friends that he is simply frustrated with how the company is run and how little input he has in the creative process. Speak on it! He's simply tired of arguing with Jeff Jarrett and Dutch Mantel over the direction of the company and feels that it's pointless to continue bickering with them since they make him feel like he is insulting them by questioning their booking decisions. Russo says he plans to stick with the company until his angle with Dusty Rhodes plays out, which means through the November 7th pay-per-view and the election for the director of authority. There's always a chance that Russo could have a change of heart. He he doesn't now, at least. Especially if he and Jarrett can get back on the same page. This wouldn't be the first time he's threatened to leave the company, but we know, for once, he does follow through with it. Once he does
2: commit to his word.
1: Uh, Again, the classic, all these quotes come from Disco. One source said that Russo had done his best to keep his cool, but has been voicing his frustrations to friends for quite a while now. He's a very loyal guy who loves the business, but just can't take the BS anymore, said the source.
2: No more BS, Vince Russo.
1: It'd be so funny if it turns out this is actually like AJ talking to the torch and not, not disco.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's it's uh, David Young. <laughs> so there is like a growing power vacuum here because obviously Russo's on the way out uh Jared his attention is being pulled away from like booking and company responsibilities because uh the cancer returns in his wife and uh, his father Jerry is having heart trouble so there's a lot of uh, problems going on at home for him a lot of things that, that demand his attention more than silly little wrestling companies uh also joy or legend said awful things about jeff jarrett this month terrible terrible man really he said something to the extent uh, in a media interview that uh, jarrett deserved his wife getting her cancer back and it's like dude what the fuck is wrong with you what a cool guy like there is no amount of wrestling bullshit. None. He could have fucked your career altogether that would have justified you saying that to another human being. And he didn't even do that much to him. Nah, that's rough. What a horrible man. But yeah, J- Jarrett's attention is being pulled away. Russo's on the way out. Uh, there's a ton of locker room dissatisfaction with the way things have been booked over the last six months or so. That's We mentioned that in the last episode. It's been mounting. So a uh, change is on the horizon. <laughs> This is the
2: point where it's like, you hit Dusty Rhodes' music and you runs to the ring.
1: Ah, oh, power, power vacuum, that it. Dixie Carter has told several people over the last few weeks that she realises the product stinks right now. She has been openly questioning... Now? <laughs> well, like, there is periods, you know, in the middle of O three 3 it's not good, but it feels hot-ish. Hot is probably a generous term, but it doesn't feel dead. Yeah, but now? But yeah, she's finally reached a stage where it's like, huh, maybe it does stink. This is, like, the best it's been in... A year. <laughs> uh, she has been openly questioning the idea of filling, filling Impact with squash matches, which Jeff Jarrett and Dutch Mantel defend by saying it's the only way to get over new characters. One of the reasons Russo grew so frustrated with his, with his role in the company is that he grew tired of telling some of his favourite wrestlers and friends that the company didn't have any storylines for them. Among those said to be Russo's favourites are Raven, Glengalberti, Johnny Swinger, Pat Kenny, Sonny Siaki, and Eric Watts. The true dream team of TNA right there.
2: Oh my god, all of the bad people in
1: Raven. (laughs) Although most TNA wrestlers are frustrated with The Office these days, the locker room is actually more united now than it has been in quite some time. Although there are occasional issues, mostly involving Kid Cash. Is the resters actually have a common bond in their disappointment with the office. They've been unified by their hatred. <laughs> it's a great of the way booking. to unite people. It's like, it's so shit and we all hate it. So we all like each other in unity against the shitty booking.
2: Ah, oh, well, worked for
1: Vince. A number of the wrestlers compare notes on what they are told by office members and figure they are better off staying aligned rather than letting politics get to them. TNA is unionising. One of the reasons that wrestlers are so gloomy these days is there is a shared concern with the Carter family that they will pull the plug if the move to Sunday Night pay-per-views is not successful, even though they do, like, reaffirm their support of the company this month.
2: Well, you know, as we know, the company does not die in 2004.
1: Vince Russo has been telling everyone his final day in the wrestling industry will be Victory Road.
2: And that man never lies.
1: He doesn't. He's never going to be seen again in the entire history of wrestling.
2: He's going to go be a priest or something.
1: That is what he wants to do. It's a minister, not a priest, but yes.
2: Same difference.
1: What is the difference between a minister and a priest? I don't even know.
2: Let's have a Google. Most basically, a priest is a religious official who performs sacrifice. (laughs) Is that true? Yes, and a minister is a religious official who provides pastoral ministry.
1: That has made it so much clearer for me. Thank you, Liam.
2: So, what? <laughs> oh my God, there's so many quotes in this article.
1: <laughs> Do you know? I've discovered recently that I now instinctively scroll to paragraph three of literally anything I read on the internet, knowing like the first two paragraphs will be useless fluff.
2: Uh, okay, so what my 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 idea here is. Is that a priest is like next level minister. A minister is like entry level. You don't have to go like dedicate yourself to a, an actual, like become a clergyman. You can just kind of do your thing. Cool. But if you think about it, maybe he is training to be a priest by killing the company.
1: He should be training under Father James Mitchell. Oh my gosh. Do you think he
2: was offended by James Mitchell?
1: Well, oh. he didn't understand how another religious man like Jerry Jarrett could stab him in the back of his book like that last month. So you never know. Speaking of Jerry, there continues to be a great power struggle behind the scenes between Jeff Jarrett and Jerry Jarrett. Sources say that the falling out between the father and son is severe as now Jerry is attempting to get control of the company from Jeff. During a recent conference call... TNA owner Bob Carter pressed the issue of when he could expect the company to have a profitable month. Jerry has apparently been telling Bob Carter that Jeff Jarrett is part of the problem and the company won't turn around with him in charge. Jerry has been using Hulk Hogan as a bargaining chip with Bob, stating that if Bob took power away from Jeff, who does actually own still a small stake in TNA at this stage, and gave it to him, he would put Hogan in charge of booking.
2: Okay, so Jerry has quickly dropped to the the person I value least behind the scenes now. That's real traitor
1: shit, isn't it? Yeah, you cowardice. It's one thing to disagree with the direction, but to, like, actively try and undercut and boot out your own son, that's some Shakespearean shit. that's
2: not my problem. If you want to boot him out, that's all good, but putting Hulk Hogan in (laughs) charge, that's where I draw the damn line. (laughs) Yeah,
1: put, like, Disco in charge. He has ideas. Put James Mitchell in charge. It would probably be a better show. It 100% would be a better show. It'd be a more interesting show. There were rumours last week that made it all the way to WWE's front office that Hulk Hogan and Jerry Jarrett would be taking over control of TNA and moving Dusty Rhodes and Terry Taylor into the booking position and ousting Jarrett and Mantel. Says one wrestler, I don't know what's going to happen, but backstage there is a sense lately that something is about to go down. Some people would be happy with major changes, but not everyone is sure change will necessarily be good. Some within TNA react to the rumors of Jerry's power play with disgust. Jeff put everything he has financially into this company, and now his own millionaire father is trying to rip it away from him. It's disgusting, says one source. Millionaire? Oh yeah, Jerry has a whole like side business that makes lots of money. Very well. He's in the construction business as well as wrestling, where he also made lots of money, to be fair. Hmm. There is fear that if Jerry were to gain control, pay would go down across the board, since Jerry's method has always been to cut talent pay as much as possible, arguing that if you're willing to work for it, it's by definition fair pay. That's that's not how that works, Jerry. I hate this guy now. <laughs> this is the Jerry Jarrett heel turn. Jeff Jarrett says, work is right. He believes with so few options, wrestlers would work for TNA for less than they're currently receiving. Those in favour of Jerry's actions are fearful that if Jeff remains in charge, TNA will never be profitable and they'll end up out of work anyway. Dixie, meanwhile, is said to be a staunch supporter of Jeff and, according to one source, despises Jerry for undercutting his own son.
2: I like to imagine Bob's like, whoa, 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 let's just listen to the man first.
1: <laughs> Dixie's like, how dare he, traitor, betrayal! Oh listen,
2: um anyone that's in favor of putting Hulk Hogan in any power position, I'm not exactly going to be aesthetic with.
1: I get why like increasingly this pressure is mounting because I just don't I just don't know if this is the answer. <laughs> the company has been losing money for a while now and they're reaching like the monthly pay-per-view thing where they they have to get this right. You know, if this one flops, it is probably donezo for the company. But also, yes, the answer is not give control to fucking Hulk Hogan. Mm. (sighs) Speaking of non-problematic folk, Kevin Nash and Scott Hall have agreed to financial terms with TNA, but as of October 12th have not signed paperwork assuring they will actually be at Victory Road. I think it was as of the October 15th impact, don't quote me on that, but I believe that's the first time they were named. Like, they've been teasing the outsiders or, like, nameless outsiders for a while, but then Jarrett just flat out said, You want me to say it, don't you? Scott Hall, Kevin Nash. Yeah. So they didn't actually have paperwork signed until closer to Victory Road than it probably should have been. They could have ended up with another situation where they advertised stars and then couldn't deliver them, just like they did with Hogan. But it all turned out fine, so everything's fine.
2: Yep. Yeah.
1: good business. Uh, Sean Waltman, who had at least one discussion with Dixie Carter and was assumed to be part of the mix with Hall and Nash, is now not part of any current Victory Road plans. With Waltman not coming in, even if Hall and Nash are finally signed... There will be no one to actually wrestle, which is a fair point. Who's going to carry the actual work rate of those matches?
2: Big Sexy, baby!
1: Well, Big Sexy does take a bump for AJ Styles on Victory Road, which I did not expect from him. A
2: a big ass bump, too. Yeah, AJ
1: takes a dropkick and he takes like a big cartoon full, like, spread back bump. Yeah, we
2: were talking about this on the watch along, it's like. Do you think just everyone loves AJ, all these legends that come in? Because they all seem to bump huge for him.
1: And I suppose this is night one where they probably want to be at least somewhat liked by the locker room because they are guys that, for as much as they do politic and shit...
2: They are the boys' boys. Yeah, they
1: they are the the good brothers, some might say. And they want to make a relatively good impression. Hall bumps all over the place in that main event. Hall's like the, the super worker in that ladder match.
2: Mm. he's the best part of the main event by far and
1: Nash takes a bump for AJ so there you go they are working Dallas Page has also talked about being part of the Outsiders angle but there have no hints on TV yet and he doesn't debut until after the pay-per-view uh, TNA is not allowed to refer to Hall and Nash as the Outsiders which they do everything in their power to get around <laughs> hmm. and honestly I think cross the line they don't just run up to the line of whether or not they can actually call them the Outsiders I think there's times where they do just say the Outsiders
2: it's a couple of outsiders
1: but like even like the the tail of the tape before the Jarrett Hardy match there's literally one of the bullet points is the outsiders the comma outsiders <laughs> could be any outsiders
2: yeah
1: uh, Scott Hall was up to his old antics at last week's TNA tapings his antics received mixed results among wrestlers but mostly positive Jeff Jarrett was holding a <laughs> talent meeting at the ringside where he was informing the crew about the best damn sports show period tapings we'll talk about that in a sec uh, some wrestlers have even suggested that Jared held the meeting to show Hall that he is the authority figure in TNA, because Hall was actually at the tapings. Nash was busy filming the longest yard in the build-up to Victory Road, so he's never actually at TV. Hall was at some of the TVs, but never actually appeared like in the building. They just did those vignettes. Hall quickly showed everyone that he doesn't respect Jarrett as Jarrett was talking from ringside to wrestlers sitting in the bleachers. Hall mocked him from behind. As Jarrett was telling wrestlers that they need to arrive on time, Hall clowned around running in place. As the meeting continued, Hall climbed inside the ring without Jarrett knowing, snuck up behind Jarrett, and did several cross chops from directly behind his head. A few of the wrestlers were giggling, but most did their best to keep a straight face so that Jarrett would be none the wiser to what Hall was doing. What a child. <laughs> good kind of child though. Like listen, on the level of wrestling antics, th- that's that's good stuff.
2: Uh, I I hope he at least had signed to the paper at that point. Also, if you're Scott Hall,
1: what the fuck are they going to do? <laughs> yeah. You know they're going to punish you. You just goof around. You know that at least <laughs> jerry's watching it like, "Yes, <laughs> undermine him." <laughs> uh, on the other side of antics, <laughs> the-, the bad side of antics. <laughs> There was a backstage fight at the September... By the way,
2: there are so many backstage fucking stories.
1: (laughs) This is, like, the busiest month. Like, there is another, I don't know, two pages of notes about backstage stuff before we even get into the pay-per-view stuff. And there's a lot... Unlike last month where there wasn't a lot of stuff on the shows themselves, we'll be talking about a lot in the shows themselves as well. So, a busy month in TNA history right here. There was a backstage fight at the September 28 TNA event between Kid Cash and Chase Stevens. <laughs> Didn't Chase
2: Stevens just get stabbed? No,
1: Andy Douglas got stabbed. Chase is fine. <laughs> uh,
2: one of my favorite signs came out this month, too. What? Which was, get well, Andy
1: Douglas, and who else was Johnny stabbed? Johnny Devine. You still can't remember the poor man's Get well, name.
2: Andy Douglas and Johnny Devine. Uh, another reason Florida is better than Nashville. <laughs> <laughs> to
1: pardon the pun, just, just, just turning the knife there, aren't they? Mm. That was you. That pun was one hundred percent intentional. I said pardon the pun. I said not. I didn't say it wasn't intended. Fair enough. Cash has been feuding with the Naturals for months. He's been hard on them because he considers them green and doesn't think they've earned the push they've received. It's just fuck off. <laughs> like, <laughs> stop it. In fact, he's made it clear that he thinks the only reason they're getting a push is because they're friends with the right TNA office staffers. Especially this month, where they, they lose the belt and they immediately become jobbers. Yeah.
2: Also, they've been good.
1: Yeah, they had that great game. Hey <laughs> Listen, I'm
2: not in there working with them. I don't know if they're stiff or if they're unreliable or whatever, but as a viewer, like this is the month where it feels like they've kind of gotten it together. Hmm.
1: On Tuesday, Cash was mocking Stevens' tag team partner Andy Douglas for getting into a bear fight that resulted in Douglas and the Giant Divine being stabbed by another patron. Cash accused Douglas of making the rest of the wrestlers look stupid by getting into a fight in public.
2: Oh if I'm Eric Stevens with of Eric Stevens, fucking Chase Stevens, I'm throwing the fuck down <laughs> after that. You're not insulting my friend to my face and calling him a bitch. Like uh, uh, like yeah, okay, we're throwing him down. <laughs>
1: Douglas was stabbed in the leg and was in no condition to fight, so he didn't have much choice but to take Cash's verbal abuse. Stevens was on the other side of the room, but eventually caught wind of what was going on, got right in Cash's face. Stevens and Cash nearly came to blows, but Monty Brown and Conan were among the wrestlers who intervened.
2: When Conan's someone who's like, hey, hey, bros, it's coming down.
1: Mr. like two months ago doing the drugs fighting rock and roll promo was what pro wrestling is, and he's like, Gu- guys, guys, come on.
2: I'm sure Kid Cash has matured and is a nice fella now, but... If, like, oh, you're
1: slapping him in the face. <laughs> like, this is a, an RVD pick-a-hand situation, you know? And pretty justifiably. Mm. Apparently wasn't just hold me back so they can look good stuff. They they were ready to go. Cooler heads prevail, but most sources don't believe this will be the end of Cash versus the Naturals backstage feud. It certainly wasn't on camera where they were teamed on the pay-per-view, so.
2: Mm. There was that backstage promo mm-hmm. with Cash and uh, Dallas and the Naturals. Where Cash kind of
1: undermined them. Yeah, the whole idea was that, like, I'm the veteran, you're the rookies, you just follow me.
2: And I'm now curious if the faces that they made
1: at the end were very real. Because mm. <laughs> they were like, fuck this guy. Taking like The Tony Khan mentality of, hey, it makes for good angles, I guess. Mm. One of the things Kid Cash told Andy Douglas that led to the fight between Cash and Jay Stevens is that he should get on the gas, gain some weight, and he'd still kick his ass. Why, like Jesus, really ripping into this dude who was stabbed? He has like the biggest Napoleon complex known to man, Kid Cash. But it
2: seems like it's it's exclusively to people in the business.
1: Follow up from Cash, who told the Daily News Journal of some place I can't pronounce in Tennessee, Murfreesboro. Well done. That he plans to retire from wrestling within three years and become a chiropractor. I have settled down mentally and spiritually," says Cash. The wrestling world. It's such a doggy dog industry now. I'm just not as gung-ho as I once was.
2: What a cunt. I'm gonna dust off a, a Rich crage line
1: here. Uh, Eat shit. What an <laughs> asshole. What a just, like, natural-born asshole Kid Cash is. Yeah. Let's talk about a
2: little something here with a worker just, just,
1: just working and getting the fucking
2: best-case scenario ever.
1: Miramax Pictures is planning to release a movie called *The Adventures of Shark Boy and Lava Girl*. Great uh, film. Yeah, uh, Taylor Lautner's in it, isn't he?
2: Yeah, got me my first kiss as a child. I
1: don't know who played Lava Girl.
2: <laughs> oh yeah, they did like a, a reboot of this shit recently, huh? I
1: hope he got paid again.
2: I imagine. I, I don't think they called it Shark Boy and Lava. Oh, Girl. cowards! What? Okay, so it says Taylor Dooley, but was she the original Lava Girl? Yes, it was Taylor Dooley. I don't
1: know who that is.
2: um, She pops up in a lot of things. A working actress.
1: Uh, Important note about Sharkboy and Lavagirl, though. They never bothered to clear the rights to the Sharkboy name, which are owned by the wrestler Dean Roll. Give me a shell, yeah! The story we'll see develop over the next few months, and Sharkboy gets paid.
2: I come from money. I come from cash.
1: (laughs) TNA did announce the names of their next two pay-per-views for December and January, sending a message to potential customers that they're in this for more than a one-time event. The second event will be on December 5th, entitled Turning Point, and the third will be January 16th, named Final Resolution.
2: Okay, uh, TNA, all-time great pay-per-view names. No one's ever done
1: it better. Oh, yeah, like the first 12, you get Victory Road. Great name.
2: Bang! I'll, uh, here you go. I'll give. I'll give. Great stage name. Okay. Go.
1: Victory Road. B plus. Turning Point. B plus. Final Resolution. A. Against all odds. A. Destination X. A. Lockdown. B plus. Hard Justice. A. Slammiversary.
2: A plus 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 plus.
1: No surrender. A plus. Sacrifice. A fucking plus. Unbreakable. B+, a little generic, but alright. Bound for glory. A goddamn A. You also got Genesis after that. And A! (laughs) All of them. Just absolute bangers. They really did. They absolutely nailed it.
2: Again, like, TNA's biggest strength has always been aesthetics. Mm. And part of that
1: is, like, just pay-per-view names that are perfect. They really really did. Like, they're just... They're just part, there's something about wrestling pay-per-view names that you can't put your finger on what makes them right until you hear them. And it's like, yes, because some of them you get like the yeah. the TEW randomizer or EWR, which everyone had the pay-per-view name generator that you're just like, that's a fake pay-per-view name. Do you want me to pull up some? Sure. <laughs> you tell me if, if they if they could be a TNA pay-per-view. And then you get something like Against All Odds or Bound for Glory. And you also have to say, you have to say, bound. you hold the bound. It's not Bound for Glory, it's Bound for Glory. You always hold the bound. It's very important. All right. I'm going to give you five from the TW pay-per-view generator. Okay. TNA, the end is near. That's, that's like a dying days of WCW pay-per-view name. TNA, hotter than hell. No, absolutely not. That's one of, like, the mid-2010s great balls of fire one-offs that no, they never do again in WWE. TNA, no turning back. Too many words. All these are too wordy to be, because t- TNAs are, are, are crisp. A lot of them are one words. TNA, exit wound. That's a an, a an exhibit movie? DMX? Exhibit? I think it's Exhibit, right? Exit wounds? TNA, ambition. That, you know, that's not... The furthest away. That one could make it. That one could make it. That would be like maybe a later one they introduce as like a one night only, but it's 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 one that could work. TNA XXX explosive. No, that's the name of Raw in like three weeks. Are they changing Raw's name? No, because you know the way they're doing the 30th anniversary of Raw. TNA Last Gasp So the logo for the 30th anniversary of Raw is like the Raw is War font, except it's Raw is XXX for 30. It's like, is it really? Yep.
2: I've got to Google this.
1: Uh, I don't think you should, raw is sex. I don't think you should Google the words raw is xxx. I, 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 ah! I don't think I can promise the things that are going to appear for you if you Google the words raw is xxx. It's so you know what
2: it is. Like it's so gross that it has the modern WWE logo on top of it. Mm. Like just bring back like, the scratch WWE logo if you have to. You know, like that. That makes me upset. I really don't like that logo. <laughs>
1: well, good logos for Turning Point and Fine Resolution, TNA's next two pay-per-views. Uh, Chris Harris and Jabe Storm have re-signed with TNA, according to numerous sources. They had been talking to a number of people within the company about jumping to WWE, but apparently decided to stick it out in TNA. What's the 2004 WWE tag team scene looking like? They're going to work with La Resistance.
2: I like La Resistance.
1: And the Dudley Boys. Oh,
2: well, you know, they'll never get that chance if they stay here. <laughs>
1: Kenzo Suzuki and Rene Dupree. Oh, that's the poor man's La Resistance. Charlie Haas and Rico. That's the poor man's world's greatest tag team.
2: If they, they wait a bit, they could get like an Eddie Mysterio
1: feud. That would be pretty good. They would have good matches with Rey Mysterio and probably Eddie Guerrero. M&M? They'd also, they'd have a great match with m M&M. m You can see the chemistry there.
2: Yeah, I, you can also see like the, like how aesthetically pleasing that, that matchup is.
1: Mm. Oh, especially if you did it like Gail Kimmy or AMW and you had like Gail and Melina facing off as well. Oh, perfect. Yeah, that works.
2: Someone put us in charge of a wrestling company in 2004 to 2005.
1: AMW have both been miserable with the way they've been booked over the past few months and have not been shy about voicing their displeasure with their storylines. More than one wrestler said Harrison Storm are being laughed at by a number of people for making a, such a big claim about the possibility of jumping to WWE, yet re-signing with TNA when push comes to shove. Though you could also argue that they probably got a better deal from TNA because they did that, so shut the fuck up. <laughs> 100%.
2: Uh, let's be real, it's probably like a bunch of jaded assholes who have already been there and who would go back in a second to making like fun of them anyway.
1: Yeah. Victory Road will be available to the entire pay-per-view universe in the United States thanks to an agreement with DirecTV. <laughs> pay-per-view universe. Yes, uh, except just in the United States. <laughs> you can't use, again, I'm going to give out the PW Torch. you can't say the entire pay-per-view universe and immediately bounce the phrase in the United States off the word universe. That's not how the word universe works.
2: Hey, you fucking American-centric nerds. Other
1: places exist. Thanks to an agreement with DirecTV last week, DirecTV has 13 million subscribers. Several months ago, DirecTV's contract with TNA expired, and they pulled their agreement. But TNA will be able to be available on Dish, In Demand, and DirecTV for Victory Road. Which they do promote on the pay-per-view itself.
2: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, TNA wrestlers took part in a special taping for Fox Sports' Best Damn Sports Show period on October twenty-seven. Fucking, I hate this show. Well, you'll have to watch two hours of it for no, the, the the December episode. So good luck with that. I'm so I'm what because they shot two one-hour specials with Best Damn the that what they were titled Best Damn Wrestling Show period that they aired on back-to-back days. Oh. That are the next two TNA shows you'll be watching, pals. So get excited for it. Great. Footage from the matches and skits will air in November, giving TNA its first primetime basic cable exposure. I'm sure nothing controversial happened. There was a negative reaction backstage when <laughs> Best Damn Sports Show Period co-host Chris Rose wore a t-shirt to the ring that said, Wrestling is fake. Where uh, wrestlers groaned when they saw it, as Liam highlights Chris Rose, so and so I know he's googling him to find out who so he can find out who he is. <laughs> <laughs> i could have left that unacknowledged to our podcast fans but i'm like nah calling you out
2: he was the play by announcer by abc's 2015 revival of BattleBots.
1: there you go wrestlers groaned when they saw it that shouldn't have been allowed says one tna locker room veteran the feeling was that it was cliche disrespectful and that another t-shirt slogan could have accomplished the same thing without bringing up a stale outdated 20-year insult. One particular person got particularly offended. Roddy Piper was genuinely offended by the comment, and it showed when he confronted Rose during the TV segment. Piper, quote-unquote, went into business for himself by excessively spraying Rose with a fire extinguisher. No one bothered to tell Rose how to sell the bits, so he walked backstage with a big smirk on his face. Once he was backstage, Rose complained to his producers about Piper's antics. TNA production whiz Dave Sahadi played Damage Control by telling roles and the producers that the fire extinguisher simply malfunctioned.
2: Dave Sahadi is the greatest of all time.
1: Oh, what a genius cover. Put him in the goddamn Observer Hall of Fame. Legitimately, like, I think he's a good candidate for it. Like, it's always hard to assign, like, the, the, the criteria to, like, that to a non-wrestler. But, like, in terms of the quality of his work, he's damn well a wrestling, like, a wrestling Hall of Famer. I'm tweeting it. (laughs) I'm that passionate about this. You're going to be campaigning for Dave Sahadi in the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame?
2: Yes. Also, free invite to come on the show. Oh, Mia Yim was on Raw. (laughs) Oh. Oh. She's a part of the Bullet Club now.
1: Oh, well, good for her, I guess. Lex Luger was backstage at the TNA tapings this week. He contacted the company the week before through someone who was acting as his agent. The agent assured the company that Luger was clean and sober and that he would be willing to lower his asking price. When Luger finally got on the bus after being about 40 minutes late, he appeared to be out of it and apparently didn't recognize someone he knew well. One wrestler says the weight was annoying, but what was even worse is that we were all hungry. (laughs) Wrestlers are always thinking about their stomachs, aren't they? Yeah.
2: They gotta get like their billion
1: calories. He was sent back to the hotel Tuesday but came back to the taping on Wednesday in a much better state of mind. Wrestlers say Luger spent most of his time sitting on a golf cart waiting for people to come up to him. The reason, given that Luger wasn't used at the Tuesday taping, was that Jarrett was too busy to do what was planned with Luger. Evignette was taped but may never air. No word yet as to whether TNA intends to use him. But most wrestlers say they would be shocked if the company ends up putting him back on television.
2: Alright, uh, Garrett, we have to think of things to say about Lex Luger because the last video did really, really well. So, uh, Lex Luger, um, uh, fuck!
1: I will say, like, this is a company who, when you look at the people they're bringing in, is very clearly desperate for stars. They wanted to bring Sting back in, couldn't get him. One day. (laughs) They do bring Hall in. They do bring Nash in. They do bring Savage in. They do bring Piper in. They do bring DDP in. So this is a company who's like, we're moving into having to sell a a big pay-per-view every month. We need marquee attractions. So we're chasing big names. And it tells you what the general perception of Lex Luger was at this time for many reasons, a lot of which are justified, some of which might not be. But that, like, even though he is a name, even though he is a star, we don't want to be near him.
2: Uh I mean, he's just a li- he's a. I can't it, saying it. He's a little too toxic, even for TNA standards.
1: He's also just no good. Whoa! Like, like he was terrible in the dying days of WCW, and this is even further on from that. Like, he hasn't had a good match since the early 90s. I Like, I know there's like a, a Luger revival, which I'm on board with for his like early NWA stuff, where he was actually a good wrestler. <laughs> Yeah, we we watched that Flair match together, like, years ago. But by the time you get to, like, 98, 99, 2000 WCW, the dude is so checked out. Like, f- couldn't be further from being, like, like mentally checked into pro wrestling. So, like, no one wants anything to do with him. And it's fairly justifiable, especially at the price. And for as much as he is a star name, he doesn't bring anything else. Like, you can argue Nash, Nash is, like, still... A pretty good wrestler. He's no worse a wrestler than he was in, like, 96. Scott
2: Hall was the best guy in the main event. Yeah,
1: and, and like, Savage is totally washed, but Savage is, like, a top five name in wrestling history for the 20 years prior, you know? Which Lex Luger necessarily isn't. And, yeah, you just want nothing to do with him. Yeah, makes sense. Jerry Jarrett is taking heat from wrestlers who blame him for bringing in Lex Luger. While it's true that Jarrett did agree to let Luger come to the show, he also made it clear that there were no guarantees regarding work, that the main reason Luger was coming in was to show that he was clean.
2: <laughs> Seems to have worked out.
1: Well, he's not- Actually, oh, he is seen in TNA again in 2006. Hey, Garrett. Yes. <laughs> New Elon just dropped. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Go on.
2: Just Justin Elon Musk has discussed putting all of the Twitter behind a paywall <laughs> the
1: verge. Good fucking kill it just kill it <laughs> So make sure everyone subscribe to
2: our Tumblr get on the YouTube please the Patreon
1: we ha- we have a 16,000 follower deep TikTok we don't need the Twitter for this
2: Yeah fuck you go follow us on TikTok all right we'll-,
1: we'll start doing the dances we just crossed 500 subscribers on YouTube too
2: Look 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 forward to Garrett's um Vegemite eating series on TikTok <laughs>
1: Uh, I'll, I'll shape the Vegemite in the shape of TNA wrestlers
2: I'll, yeah Garrett can play Sonic Frontiers on the YouTube and I'll watch oh, <laughs> lots of good content that we can do we don't need this this hell site
1: USA Championship Wrestling the group Prentice is running that Jerry Jarrett was supposed to be booking ran its return show on the 2nd of October in the Nashville fairgrounds this was a test as Jarrett was hoping TNA had cultivated an audience in Nashville that the characters were giving up the show without giving free tickets out did about 175 fans. <laughs> it's a bad month for Jerry, isn't it?
2: He's taken L's everywhere. Well, to be fair, he he could have capped off this month by getting control of the company, so.
1: They used some TNA wrestlers, including Storm as a ref, Michael Shane and the Naturals, as well as Ryan Wilson. That sounds like an appealing card. I'd show up for that. Mm. And one of those stupid, dumb shit, dumb ass, dumb fuck wrestling stories, as opposed to the contrast with the harmless Scott Hall one. Here is the Jarrell Clark story. At the 28th of September tapings, he and Mikey Bat beat David Young and Lex Lovett when he pinned Lovett after his 6.30. Many in the company thought he had changed the finish, as the original finish was supposed to be a roll-up. They wanted to protect Lovett because there had been thoughts of doing something with him down the line. Just stupid in its own right. Terry Taylor, not knowing the finish was a roll-up or any of this, told him he could do the 6.30. He never went back to management or the original agent to clear it, even though Terry Taylor is an agent and in management. Okay. Supposedly, as retribution. Management told Shane and Kazarian to work very stiff with him on the 5th of October. Clark came out of the match with one broken rib and two cracked ribs from very hard chops and kicks in the chest.
2: Clark, showing his lack of savvy, then came home and didn't tell the story but did address a lot on his website, saying he was feeling dejected, and listed a bunch of lessons he learned at the show the day before, including don't get on the massage table, that if a second agent changes what the first agent did, make sure to report the first agent. He also said he was reprimanded for getting in more than two moves on a hot tag and said everyone knows what's going on but you in reference to the fact a lot of wrestlers as well as 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 well as tag partner Bats knew about the retribution coming in the match but, had no, but he had no idea. He went to the doctor after the show who told him he needed to take some time off to let his ribs heal so naturally because he needs the money he's not taking any time off including working indie shots.
1: This is like just the worst. That's some peak Dave shit there, by the way. Some Dave-ass sentences. But this is, like, the worst wrestling bullshit. In that he was told one thing by one person, told another thing by another, and instead of it just being, like, a harmless misunderstanding... That like this wasn't even a TV match. This was for fucking explosion or whatever. Like this didn't even air on Impact, and you're making this big ass deal of this dude because he did his finish on Lex Love. It. It's not like he went in there and like pinned Jeff Hardy before the fucking Victory Road main event. It's not like he went in there and shot on someone. He did his move in a match he was already booked to win, and this is the bullshit that comes of it. It's not even like, oh hey dude, uh, clear that by the original agent from now on. Okay? okay that's that's how you deal with that situation that's how you deal with it as a normal human being not a dumbass stupid idiot fuck wrestling nonsense where you're like oh yeah shoot him we need to teach this kid a lesson
2: and also it's like for the, for a business that's based entirely around protecting each other mm. it's such a ridiculous sentiment to be like go out and hurt the guy
1: <sighs> i hate wrestling sometimes i hate it so much just, that's just such a silly aspect of the business I'm glad it's it's probably not all gone. You probably still get shit like this happening, particularly on indies with people, of big league and younger talent.
2: You probably, you get it on shindies. That's the funniest thing. You get it in companies that don't matter and will never be relevant. Yeah,
1: because it's a bunch of like old timers clinging to the position of locker room leader and uh, like who never
2: made it, like who never
1: did anything. Yeah, and they'll haze new guys. Where I, I don't think you get this in real companies anymore, at least I hope not. I mean, did you see that Athena Jodie Threat match though Oh, went into the business for herself.
2: Yeah, de- <laughs> when Jodie Threat was smiling the whole time, she was definitely
1: feeling like Terrell Clark. You've Got to Be Kidding Me is brought to you this week by HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. Subscribe to HelloFresh and check save money off your fall to-do list. HelloFresh is 25% cheaper than takeout and less expensive than grocery shopping too. Have a packed fall calendar? HelloFresh's quick and easy meals like their 20-minute recipes or low prep and easy cleanup options mean you'll spend less time in the kitchen and more time with your loved ones. So go to hellofresh.com slash VOW65 and use the code VOW65 for 65% off plus free shipping. That's the code VOW65 at hellofresh.com slash VOW65. All right, that brings us to the broad topic, starting with not the date with fate or anything. It doesn't have a tagline this time, which is quite disappointing. But the Jeff Jarrett versus Jeff Hardy match, the main event of the first three-hour uh, Sunday pay-per-view. Jeff going Jeff Jeff Squaresy, that would be pretty good, wouldn't it? Takes us to the October first impact. Jeff Jarrett had a squash match. He wrestled Brian Gamble.
2: <laughs> yeah. What are your thoughts on Brian Gamble? He wore some pants.
1: They were blue.
2: I gotta I gotta be honest with you. All these squash matches are blended together in my brain, I imagine one squash guy.
1: So you can't differentiate Brian Gamble from Mark Stevens, from Luther Jackson, from Roderick Strong, from Jason Picaro, from Spider Well, Spider-Nate One Wef. of them. One of them. <laughs> from Ryan O'Reilly. Yeah, no. To be fair, you do get some interesting job, guys. Ryan O'Reilly, he shows up, he's Big con. You get Roger Strong. Stevens. Eric Stevens shows up. So there is some names this month. It's not all just nobodies. I'm talking about the nobodies. <laughs> mm. I did like how Jarrett launched Brian Gamble over the ropes at one stage of this match. It's like, Jarrett, you are not abyss. Stop treating this wrestler like you're abyss. Mm. I also somewhat admire uh, Jarrett's commitment to always doing walk and brawls, even in his squash matches.
2: He's so, like, Jeff Jarrett-pilled that it's, like,
1: impossible for him to do anything
2: else than what he knows.
1: So he's gonna take that dude out to the floor and throw some punches, maybe a whip or two into the rail, even when it's a frickin' 90-second squash.
2: That's great. I honestly I admire the commitment to the bit.
1: So he beats Brian Gamble with the stroke. Jarrett grabs the microphone and assists. He's not leaving the ring until he finds out who his pay-per-view challenger at Victory Road is going to be. He then takes a seat on the announce desk. He puts, like, a chair on the announce desk and sits on the chair on top of the announce desk, which is a, a fun visual. Jarrett with some fun visuals around announce desks this month.
2: Yeah, Jeff Jarrett is my favorite wrestler who I don't enjoy seeing wrestle.
1: Uh, Russo comes out, the crowd chants, you killed Nitro at Russo. <laughs>
2: It wasn't just
1: him. And as Days of Thunder are covering right now, not like it was in a good state before he arrived.
2: Can you hear the thunder? You know what I've heard about Days of Thunder?
1: (laughs) No, no, we've done enough. Russo says he spoke to the same Outsiders and they didn't cut it. So there'll be a mini tournament to crown Jeff Jarrett's contender for Victory Road, which will feature Raven, the alpha male Monty Brown, the Monster Abyss, and the charismatic enigma Jeff Hardy. Raven needs a nickname. The Maniacal Raven?
2: Yeah, is he the Maniacal?
1: The the Rowdy Raven?
2: The Ravishing Raven.
1: To be fair, WCW canon did at one set a point suggest that Roddy Piper might be Raven's father, so...
2: Oh my god.
1: You can take the Rowdy name. But the winner of that mini tournament will challenge Jarrish. Jarrett said if Russo isn't gonna bring some outsiders to Victory Road, then he will. Then there's some more exhibition stuff that we'll talk about when we get to AJPD.
2: I like that um he's like uh, he's still being coy about who they are, but Russo's like I talk to him. I know who you're talking about.
1: Yeah, and they suck. They're they can't do it for number one contendership.
2: Who, okay, if you had to add another two matches, ignore how the like, finale would pay out, what would you make in the next two matches if you had to put Kevin Nash and Scott Hall in this tournament?
1: Oh, so, like, who would you pair them with? Huh? Well, you'd need Nash against someone who can be, like, good. <laughs> AJ. Ah, uh, but you don't want AJ to take AJ's the losing. Nash. So I- I'd probably say Hardy.
2: No, you can't use people already in the tournament.
1: Oh, uh, but I was gonna make book Scott Hall against Abyss, and that match would rule. <laughs> and also, they- this company doesn't have other main eventers. Or other, like, heavyweights. <laughs> Who are you going to put in there? Conan and BG. Oh, why Why have you said such a thing? Okay, it'd probably be Bobby Roode. He's not doing anything. And probably Ron would be the only other, like, main event Yeah, guy. so,
2: okay, Ron versus Nash, Roode versus Hall.
1: That would be alright.
2: Alright, we solved it.
1: Alright, October 8th Impact. We had the first of the two semifinal matches. Probably the most loaded episode of Impact. And boy, did they tell you. Uh, yeah, well, justifiably, though, they had Hardy against the Beast and Monty and Raven on the same episode. And AJ Roderick Strong. <laughs> well, which was the best match on the show as well. But like having an, a, two actual matches between stars on Impact, which is a thing they just don't do. They don't have one match between stars on Impact usually, never mind two.
2: Yeah, this again, this is when it, it started to feel like a different show, you know? We're getting big matches, like big stars on the show every week. I really enjoyed this episode. I thought this episode flew by.
1: Yeah, it's uh, one, a rare three-match impact, so I think that helped in the pacing, because it was three, not My long god, matches. My god, I would
2: kill for a three-match impact every week.
1: Like, they weren't long matches, because like the the two tournament matches were given special 15-minute time limits, but I think both went in and around 10-ish. Thousand Strong was about five minutes as well. How many episodes are they taping at once at this point? I think they're still only on one. So,
2: and the explosion, I guess.
1: And Best Damn as well toward the end of the month.
2: Alright.
1: But I think they do move to bulk tapings if not straight after this shortly after this. Hmm. So yeah, the first of these matches was Jeff Hardy versus Abyss. Hardy had the instrumental modest on the end but then the lyrics modest when he won It was very upsetting.
2: I'm very confused about the modest law.
1: I think they just fucked it up the first time. I think it's just meant to be lyrics modest now.
2: Mm. Uh,
1: there was some very mean chants directed at Jeff Hardy here. Mm. There was some we want Matt Chance." There was some go home Hardy, go home chants.
2: Which I still attest is just them wanting Jeff to win the match quicker.
1: That's true. Abyss, this, this scrub, this nerd, this Goldilocks dweeb should be losing to Jeff Hardy much quicker.
2: I'm very sad about Goldilocks.
1: There is a moment on one of these shows where they're like on commentary, look how much more successful Abyss and Alex Shelley have been without Goldilocks. And it's like, God, guys, you don't have to rub it in
2: stop stop she's already dead
1: <laughs> so as mentioned this match is a 50 minute time limit it didn't come close to the time limit Hardy got the referee to help him with a whisper in the wind which seems like cheating or sorry not the way well, the poultry in motion not whisper in the wind I mean you know it's
2: involuntarily
1: there's probably like a setup they could have done that would have actually seemed relatively organic to use the referee as the launch pad for the poultry in motion but no he just said mm. get down and the ref got down and he did it <laughs> could have
2: like irish whipped abyss into the corner and had abyss like take out the ref as he does it Mm. and that way like the onus of the move happening is still on abyss so it leaves a little 50 50 as to like why you wouldn't just immediately dq jeff hardy
1: (laughs) yeah or just not do it
2: ah he's got to hit that he's got to hit
1: it hardy went for the swanton he missed then abyss a real
2: rough miss on the swanton too
1: yeah that's a thud. he just kind of
2: thumped it (laughs)
1: he rolled through on a chokeslam for the win he goes to the final next week Mm. and then the other match monty brown faced raven
2: i actually thought this was pretty fun it was just two big dudes beating the piss out of each other Mm -hmm. which is you know my kind of wrestling
1: there is a conversation at this stage about whether or not monty brown is ready for this level and you can argue, what does this level mean when the main event is in Yeah, that's the thing. It's it like, oh,
2: can he do a three-star main event? Probably.
1: I'm pretty sure anybody can do like the standard of main event Jeff Jarrett is churning out. So like that, that's kind of a false premise in the first place. But even if you take it on the like, regular, can he work main events? Like He works this match against Raven, and then he works the finals against Jeff Hardy. And at no point did I think he's not ready.
2: No, he felt exactly on par with everyone.
1: Yeah, He felt like a guy who can have a 10-minute TV match with Raven, and it's pretty good. Same with Jeff yeah. Hardy. It's, he did not remotely look out of place. He looks and feels like a television star. Like, everything about his look and his moves and his presence in his promos scream TV star. And you could argue, like, can he carry a 20-minute main event? Maybe not. But, again, neither can Jeff Jarrett. So, yeah. So Raven tried to use the chair, but Monty charged into both Raven and the ref. Raven hit the chair toe hole, but Monty kicked out. There's a big kick out too. Uh, Raven missed the chair swing. He got pounced. He'll face Jeff Hardy next week, as Jeff Hardy came out and watched from one tunnel, while Jarrett watched from the other. There was some heat on Raven for his match with Monty Brown. Impact is taped live to tape, which means they time it and do the shows like it's a live show. Raven, who called the matches a veteran, went 40 seconds to a minute long, fucking God forbid, and they edited some things out of the show to make up for the missed time. They had to take out probably one PD Williams is an Amazing Athlete video package just to make up for this main event.
2: Oh no. <laughs> I like Dave's little sass here with the NYC video package that nobody missed.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was apparently an NYC package that was taken out. Uh, and yeah, the world weeped at the loss of this New York Connection video package.
2: They really wanted to see Disco walking shirtless through the streets in New York. (laughs) Uh,
1: Brown was mad because he thought Raven called the match to make him look bad and took too much of it. I I didn't think that at all watching the match. I was going to say,
2: I I don't know if I agree with that.
1: Monty, you're out to lunch. Uh, which led to October fifteenth, Hardy versus Monty Brown. Winner faces Jeff Jarrett in the main event of Victory Road. Again, a fifteen minute time limit. TNA's favorite staple. Abyss watched on from the crowd. Raven watched on from the rafters.
2: And he looked at the camera really weird.
1: <laughs> yeah, so Raven is like literally in the sting spot in the rafters, and they they show a camera shot from there in the ring, and then they pan up to Raven who turns and looks like maniacally into the camera. To me, it looked like he was waiting for his cute... <laughs> Because yeah, he does do a run in this match, and he does a run in, like, two or three minutes after he's shown on camera, so he, like, had to book it down those steps.
2: <laughs> what, if, what if he just, like, ate shit?
1: Uh, this did feel like a big match, though.
2: Yeah, but like all Jeff Hardy matches in this company, it's really disappointing.
1: Well, yeah, because Jeff's not good. Yeah. So, Monty caught Rudy with a stray elbow. Hardy hit a swanton, but there was no ref. Abyss comes in, Black Hole slams Hardy. Monty pounces Abyss, but then Raven comes in, cracks Monty with a chair, drops him with the Raven effect. Hardy hits the Twist of Fate, but Monty kicks out, like, right at three. But they call it Jeff Hardy wins.
2: I thought this was interesting that Monty didn't take the easy win Mm. and capitalize. He went after Abyss, but Hardy very much did
1: and in theory, like, Monty's not a babyface yet. Yeah. But Jeff Hardy is a babyface.
2: <laughs> and Jeff Hardy was like, a win's a win, baby.
1: Yeah, so the heel is like, no, I'm not going to take the easy win, but the babyface does.
2: Yeah, I thought that was a an interesting choice there.
1: Jarrett is injured by franchise later in the show. Jarrett asks what they're going to do, paint their face and have a clown match.
2: Yeah, it's pretty good. They should do that.
1: Oh, by the way, during that Monty Hardy match, the crowd chanted, break his neck. That's Jeff Hardy.
2: <laughs> like, guys, come on. So
1: mean. Cool your jets. No super freak is going to knock Jared off his mountain. Super freak, super freak, super freak. Yeah franchise wants to know about the outsiders that's where Jarrett finally says the names hall and nash says hall is coming in on Jarrett's side and then warns nash about potentially being on Hardy's.
2: nash is on jeff's side
1: they're all on jeff's side even hall says he's on jeff's side even though in this promo he's like i got hall
2: they're all on jeff hammond's side
1: that's true he's the the most powerful jeff in this company he's always just off watching nascar
2: he always con- he controls all six points of impact
1: October 22nd opens with Jeff Jarrett versus Ryan O'Reilly, who you might know as Big Con from Current Violent by Design. Yeah, Big Con. (laughs) Who only just showed up on Impact last Thursday, and now here he is, popping up in a match against Jeff Jarrett.
2: Our influence knows no bounds.
1: Hardy ended the last show atop a ladder. Mytanae is like, I think this suggests he's challenging to a ladder match, even though he just did, like, ladder mimes. (laughs) I think if you were to go to a Christmas party, you should bring Mike to Ney because he's a master of charades.
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah. Are you a good charades participant?
1: I don't think so. I don't think I'm either a good charader or charadee. I'm not a good charade guesser either. Mm. I'm not imaginative. <laughs> Very analytical. Mm. I did enjoy Hardy miming climbing a ladder despite the fact that he was standing atop a ladder.
2: <laughs> he's climbing the second ladder. What's a double ladder match.
1: <laughs> oh, is that uh, a relation to the pain, ball?
2: I'm, I'm literally thinking of how it could work in my head.
1: So Jarrett had this squash match against Ryan O'Reilly. Uh, Hardy had set up ladders all over the impact zone, trying to go Jarrett into accepting uh, the title match in a ladder match. Jarrett used a t- ladder a bunch against Ryan O'Reilly, which, again, wasn't a DQ for some reason. <laughs> the rules in this company are loosely applied.
2: Uh, you can kind of just do whatever you want.
1: Especially when you're Jeff Jarrett, I guess. Yeah, well, 100%. Jarrett won with the stroke. He whipped O'Reilly into the ladder after the match, but Hardy did the save and then did the same to Jarrett. Hardy climbed the ladder, looking for a swanton, but Jarrett bailed.
2: I'm very excited for this future Big Con Jeff Hardy team.
1: (laughs) Taken down, Jeff Jarrett. So, end of that show. You had the main event, which was Styles, Hardy, and Killings against Team Canada's Bobby Roode, Eric Young, and the newly debuting Ruffy Silverstein, filling in for... The absent Johnny Devine, I guess. Bayfaces faces one. Hardy hit a twist of fate on Silverstein. And then Hardy hit a swanton off the ladder onto Damore. But then Jared hit him with a guitar shot and literally said, like, ladder match. And the show went off the air.
2: <laughs> well, you know, it got to the point.
1: So I guess that was, in fact, Jeff Jarrett accepting Jeff Hardy's ladder match.
2: Ladder match. Which is funny, because that's normally uh, Jeff Hardy's key catchphrase.
1: No, he doesn't say anything in this company
2: he goes ladder match and
1: that's it (laughs) literally it's so bizarre we talked about it like the build to the last one the date with fate match that they didn't let Jeff Hardy do a single promo and now you're building to your big victory road pay-per-view main event like the first Sunday three hour pay-per-view you have this legit star as the pay-per-view title challenger Jeff Hardy going into his match a ladder match and still you don't have him utter basically a single word do they just not trust him let do a pre-tape. Yeah, you can do the Mike Tanay sit-down style interview that you can heavily edit, and that you can, like, if, he's, if he bombs, you can just ditch it. Maybe they did that. Maybe that's what happened. That Like, they did do promos and they stunk. But, God, let your main event babyface challenger speak every now and again.
2: If they did that, I feel like we would have heard about it. Mmm. Because we hear about everything
1: backstage. This is the leakiest locker room. I- like, if people think AEW's locker room is leaky, just listen to all the notes we went through in the first hour of this podcast yeah uh, Jeff Jarrett arrived to the October 29 impact with a ladder he's fully embracing being a ladder boy
2: yeah he he loved that ladder he took it every, everywhere he went
1: yeah during that show Petey had a a promo Petey and Damore had a promo with Franchise because Petey is facing Jeff Hardy in the main event uh, Petey hates all these pretty boys like Hardy and AJ and then Jarrett walked in with a ladder and also did a promo on Jeff Hardy leading to the main event Jeff Hardy versus PD Williams
2: high hopes that were disappointed so you know the Jeff Hardy experience.
1: I will say, like Je- Jeff Hardy's not a big guy, but in comparison to Petey, he was like twice his size. Yeah, the man is much bigger than Petey Williams. Uh, yeah, like the, there's again, it's a Jeff Hardy TNA match, so it's it's there's nothing like technically bad about it, but there is no spark or inspiration there whatsoever. It's a
2: well, also it goes like three minutes. <laughs>
1: which is every Jeff Hardy TV match as well, even the squad, like the supposedly competitive ones. Like, Petey's ex-champ. He should be beaten. Like, fair enough, AJ runs in, hits the reverse DDT, uh, helping Hardy get the win. But, yeah, this is where Jeff Jarrett did do commentary from the announce table, but he was sitting atop a ladder.
2: In a great fit.
1: (laughs) He did. He looked great. And, like, Don West is kind of looking at him with awe, and then Mike Tenet was, like, rolling his eyes the entire time, which is the perfect dynamic there.
2: You know, this is just another case of... The X Division champ being used to put over the world title feud. So,
1: yeah, it's like Jared pushed Hardy off the top as he goes for a swanton that distracted the ref. PD sets up for the Canadian destroyer, but AJ ran out, hits him with an inverted DDT, and helps Hardy win. So it wasn't clean, and it did build toward PD's pay per view match, but you just you just didn't need to do it.
0: What's going on, guys? This is Rich from the flagship podcast here on the Voice of Wrestling Podcast Network, and I just want to let you know about a brand new sponsor we have for the network. com slash video lock and we thank them for sponsoring the voice wrestling podcast network what's so special about hero Bread's soft fluffy and delicious breads buns and tortillas hero bread serves up zero to one grams of net carbs five to eleven grams of protein and high fiber in every delicious serving made with natural ingredients hero bread supports gut health promotes weight management and helps maintain blood sugar Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net-carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.
1: Mm.
2: Do you know what my biggest takeaway from this was? Go on. That Petey Williams is an amazing athlete and the first Canadian X-Division champion with a deadly weapon that no one has been able to survive, the Canadian Destroyer. God damn
1: it, you sent me off for that one. <laughs> to be fair they didn't air the package during this match it was during the six man tag the week before the Styles Hardy killings against Team Canada six man tag that during the break they did air the Petey Williams is an amazing athlete package Impact go home show November 5th it's the first time they did like an angle between Jarrett and Hardy first time they did like an angle on impact honestly full stop I
2: love it this is TNA baby
1: so this show opens with Jeff Jarrett beckoning franchise and he demands that they play a tape. He's in the production truck. He's like, play me a tape.
2: Yeah, let's let's play this footage of me committing assault on someone <laughs> in a public
1: space. I have recorded myself doing a crime and I would like you to play it to the public.
2: Now, here's my question to you, Garrett. Mm-hmm. Is Alex Shelley filming this?
1: Uh, ooh, no, Scott is actually. They, they, they do directly mm. address Scott Demore. so. Damn it. Scott Demore, who is Alex Shelley's trainer. Maybe he was also his trainer in videography. Yeah. So Mike Danae's in the ring. He's hyping up Victory Road. He runs down the lineup before Jeff Jarrett and his ladder interrupts. Jarrett implies he took out Hardy last night. They roll the tape of Jarrett and Team Canada sneaking into Hardy's hotel room. PD dressed up as a maintenance man. They knock on the door. <coughs> PD's like, maintenance? There was no reason for him to wear the maintenance man outfit. Jeff never opened the door to see him. <laughs> but that was so they could get into the building. They, you didn't see how they got The public far. space.
2: You could just walk in.
1: No, this is a highly secure hotel. Did not look like it. Dude, do you see the size of Jeff Hardy's hotel room? Yeah, didn't look secure. But it was pretty big. Hmm. He had like two couches in there. They had like a whole couch area. And any hotel room that has a couch area is a fancy hotel. Hmm. So yeah, maintenance man PD gets Hardy to open the door before Hardy and Jarrett jump him, and they're like, "Ha ha! We've taken him out. He's not gonna make Victory Road." Mwahaha. Uh, says he'll need a new pay-per-view opponent it can't be Nash because his knees are shot can't be him he can't walk Dusty comes out Dusty says things will change when he's in charge it says the next time Jarrett pulls this to make sure they get the job done Hardy attacks Jarrett and climbs the ladder Petey runs out distracts Hardy long enough for Jarrett to push him off the ladder to the floor so Hardy's little comeback here go nowhere and then Dusty and AJ checked on Hardy Jeff Hardy's also like covered in fake blood <laughs> yeah and he was being stretchered out and Jarrett did the whole attack him while he's stretchered out gimmick uh, like, it's a go-home angle. It's not It's not the worst. They it, it, it did probably add a little bit of juice to this match.
2: I much prefer the, the hotel attack, though.
1: Yeah, they should have just left it at the hotel. I suppose they couldn't leave it in doubt as to whether... No, nah, you,
2: you needed to have some, like, valiant babyface coming out.
1: Yeah, and you couldn't end the go-home show with the question of being, will the babyface Saunders show up for her first pay-per-view? I guess you yeah. can't really do that. Uh, The main event was meant to be Styles and Hardy against Jarrett and Petey. Hardy had to be taken out of the match. It was replaced by Ron Killings. So Jarrett hit Killings with the belt. Styles pulled the ref out. Then Jeff Hardy showed up. Hey, wait a minute. Man not in the match. Came out. Hit the twist of fate. Fall with a Swanton bomb. The ref counted three. I don't know why Hardy's not in the match. They did build up the, like he pinned Jarrett with the Swanton. It was the first time that Jarrett has been pinned since he lost the belt to AJ in that steel cage match earlier this year, which I think was March or was it April? Either way. So it's, it's been a while since Jarrett was pinned. Hardy's the first person to pin AJ. This is the first time Jarrett has had a competitive match on impact, full stop.
2: And what a match it was. Perfect for the Jarrett regime. <laughs>
1: Oh, during the the promo segment on the show where Jared interrupts Tanay, there is the all time Mike Tanay face. Yeah, <laughs> where he's like looking up to the ceiling, rolling his eyes. He's looking mad and frustrated. It, it's the it's one of the ones that's like one of the defaults on Twitter if you search for Mike Tanay. It is like one of the best Mike Tanay faces.
2: We also got another great one when they announced that Victory uh, Road was happening in Florida.
1: Oh, the the big suspenseful announcement.
2: Yeah, where he's like sucking in his lips and he's just nodding
1: <laughs> god bless Mike Tenay, I love him so much so we talked about the Hardy and Jarrett side of this pay-per-view main event we haven't talked about the outsiders side of this pay-per-view main event the
2: outsiders
1: whoever they could be so Hall and Nash do debut kind of on television in the build up they both have individual promos I fucking hate the Scott Hall one why tell me why it
2: annoys me more than the PD one
1: where he's like, "Hey yo, hey yo, hey, hey yo, yo,
2: hard cut, hey hey yo, hey hey yo,
1: hey yo, hey hey yo, I hate it." Petey Williams is an amazing "Hey yo." Do so you don't want me to start doing the other quotes? Uh, yeah, like I don't know. It's. It's it's fine for what it is. I, like bo- Both of them, I guess, needed a presence on the show in the build-up to the pay-per-view. They didn't give away either of them actually appearing until the pay-per-view. They did, like, 60-second promos. It, 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 you know, it, it's fine. The promos were nothing special. I did like Nash's like maniacal laugh toward the end of his.
2: Yeah, I like how he just cut it in his hotel room.
1: Yeah, he was just busy filming a day of The Longest Yard, like, getting off set with Steve Austin, getting off set with Bill Goldberg to tell him that, I gotta go back to the hotel room and shoot this TNA promo. They're both like, what the fuck's TNA? There's a line and I think it's the Torch, it might be the Observer, I don't remember, I didn't put it in the show notes, of Austin being like, what the fuck are you going there for? TNA sticks. Because they're paying me, Steve. But it was during the period where like they hadn't signed the deals, and Austin was like, get Vince to cut you a check. Come on. <laughs> That's so funny. So that brings us to... November 7th, the TNA Victory Road main event, Jeff Jarrett versus Jeff Hardy for the NWA world title in a ladder match. Scott Hall comes out earlier in the show. He does a promo. He just basically reinforces everything. He does tell us that Kevin Nash is not here, which it turns out we he is. We do get
2: the return of Marvelous Me.
1: It is lyricless now, which is, little. Well, it has occasion like Marvelous Me, but it doesn't have the full everywhere you turn, you'll yeah. see. Which is a tad disappointing, but the instrumental version is still pretty darn great. Yeah. So yeah, he says Nash isn't here. He points out that he's a both a TNA original, he was on the very first show, and that he invented the ladder match, which isn't true. He did popularize it. Uh so he has a clear interest in the main event, and he says, May the best Jeff win.
2: Jeff Bezos.
1: (laughs) So we do get that main event. It is a ladder match. Scott Hall comes out and interferes pretty early, which I kind of appreciate that they didn't like do a whole deal about Hall interfering. He just comes out and hits Hardy with a razor's edge pretty early into the match.
2: And he also is the best part of the match. So this match is boring and bad, but Scott Hall does fucking work his ass off and for some reason takes a spot where they're both on top of a ladder and they just fall and the ladder lands on Scott Hall for no reason. There was no reason to take that spot, but he did because he's a madman.
1: Yeah, so there's a ladder set up on the floor like opposed to the ramp and Hall is just lying on the ramp selling and Hardy and Jarrett set a bump up so that they fall off the ladder onto the ramp but also onto Scott Hall in the process. Yeah, it's just the ladder just... Eating him directly in the shoulder. Which is like, oh, there was no need for this. He eats a swanton. He's bumping all over the place. He is the hardest working guy in this match. Especially because there's a spot at the very end of the match where Hardy goes to sunset flip powerbomb Jarrett off the ladder. And Jarrett just fucking nopes out on taking the bump. And I lost so much respect for Jeff Cherished.
2: <laughs> Then followed up by them trying to redo the spot to the outside. And Jeff, once again, not wanting to take the bump.
1: It's like, dude, don't put the bump in the match if you don't want to take it. This is the pay-per-view main event of your biggest show ever. One of the most important shows this company will ever run. This show needs to be a home run. And it's like, it's teetering on the knife edge of whether it's like a success. Never mind a home run. And you're out here yeah. not even taking the Sunset Flit Powerbomb bump. Come on. Yeah, it's a bit of a rough one.
2: But, like, it's a weird match because there's a lot of stuff I like in it, but I hate most of it, so it's hard to rate.
1: Yeah, I was saying on the watch-along, which you can listen to at com, which we did for the full Victory Road pay-per-view, that I could give this match anywhere from two stars to three and a half. Like, anybody could give a rating on that spectrum, and I'd be like, yeah, I get it.
2: <laughs> yeah. I guess it just depends on how much the big like car crash spots land with you.
1: Yeah, they do some cool stuff. Like Hardy does the thing where he stands on the the rungs of the ladder to drive the pointed edges of them into Jarrett's back, which is a pretty cool spot.
2: Which I, it's not something I've seen very much
1: before. No, they usually do just just stand on them as opposed to like literally just driving the pointed edges into the back of Jarrett, which is a really cool thing. It's an interesting one. And like yeah, Hall worked his butt off. There were some like decent Hardy level bumps that you would expect from this, particularly the one on the floor that we mentioned. But it, it's it's not a great ladder match. It it felt special. I'll give them that because the first Jared Hardy match didn't. That just felt like a match, or is, did this did feel like a pay per view main event? It did seem to have the crowd investment. It did seem it did feel big, as opposed to their first match on September eighth, which really didn't.
2: But I wonder how much of that was because. Of the circumstances surrounding it, not necessarily the build itself.
1: Yeah, it's the main event of the first pay per view. You have Hall there, who is like a legit star. Like when Hall came out earlier in the show, he got a big reaction. Yeah, so Hardy hits Hall with a swanton and begins climbing, but then Jarrett hits him with a chair. Jarrett starts climbing, holding a guitar in hand, but big, sexy Kevin Nash's music hits, and Nash walks out in his frickin' satin tracksuit, holding two guitars over either shoulder. In, like, prime Kevin Nash form.
2: (laughs) Just looking like a stud.
1: Jarrett, Hall, Nash all have guitars. They all hit Hardy with a guitar, which allows Jarrett to retain the NWA world title. Nash does a promo. He's like, Hardy's a little green with envy. Because he was wearing green face paint. Because he saw me at the urinal earlier today. That's the first line Nash says in TNA history. It's a dick joke. That's (laughs) unbranded. He's like, we're taking over and if anybody in the back is the problem they should come out and deal with us right now. The, the first person to do so is AJ who does run wild. He takes out Hall and, and Jarrett with a drop kick, Takes out Nash with a dropkick before the numbers game gets the better of him. Triel K also run out to make the save but Jarrett strokes Conan. Hall razor's edge is truth. Nash jackknife BG. So if you're wondering for the trivia question who takes the the first jackknife power in Tina history it's BG James and not a better man for it. <laughs> Yeah, AJ survives. Uh, Then, the the mystery man, we were teasing earlier in the show that there's a limo backstage that the driver won't let franchise see who's in it. And he's like, he demands multiple times. And the driver's like, nah, fuck, no. I'm I'm not letting you see who's in this limo. Go away. But it turns out, it's the macho man, Randy Savage. His music hits a rocky version of Pomp and Circumstance. He walks down, he stares down Hall, Nash, and Jarrett, and the show goes off the air.
2: Yeah, I mean, for people who cared more or were there in the moment like the the macho man stinger probably worked but i don't care so
1: yeah because again i asked this question a while back about like the random like would people be excited about dusty roads in tna the same way they'd be excited about not quite CM Punk in AEW levels, but like DDP doing a, an AEW spot or, or Sting in AEW or somebody like that. And like it's quite equivalent to get a guy like the Macho Man showing up. It's it's not a, a, a too far equivalent from Sting. Sting is much older now than Macho Man was then. Sting's probably a better worker now than Macho Man was then. Not even probably. Not that probably. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's probably firmly the case. But yeah, because when you think about the people who are backstage at this show... You get Scott Hall, you get Kevin Nash, you get Randy Savage, you get Hulk Hogan, you get Roddy Piper, you get Jimmy Snooker. It's like, this backstage environment must have been wild. I imagine, like, all these guys who are, like, two years in the business who are backstage watching this. You just get Chase Stevens just walking around backstage and running into, like, Jimmy Snooker.
2: And then Kid Cash trying to kick his head in. (laughs)
1: Yeah, it's like, he probably had like, a respectful conversation with Kevin Nash and then turns around and Kid Cash is beating the shit out of him. He's like, what the fuck? What is wrong with this business? But yeah, like, you do have a, a huge injection of star power, unlike the, what this company has ever seen. Like, this is Hall and Nash. Only, te- like, they hadn't teamed a lot in recent history. They did this very short run in WWE around the time they brought in the NWO. But Hall was out very quickly. Like, Hall didn't make it past, what, April, May? So that was, Hmm. like, a three-month run there. They weren't together in WCW since, like, 1999. So Hall and Nash together is, I think, an attraction still in 2004. For some people, sure. Like, they are stars. Stars of an era when people actually watched television. And, like, Nash can still go to the level he could always, which is not very, but at least it's not actively worse than he used to be.
2: Yeah, it's it's not like he's deteriorated.
1: And like Hall was still a pretty good worker in 2002 TNA, but I don't think he's in the same shape now he was even then. But even then, he's probably still a pretty good worker because he's still Scott Hall.
2: Yeah. There's like a base level, but both of those guys still hit.
1: But at the end of the day, it does send the message that like, this is our, our coming out party, our big three-hour pay-per-view, and like Styles got punked out by these guys. Th- 3LK got punked out, that's no loss. And But it's it, it's the Savage, Nash, and Hall show, it's not the Styles, Monty, and AMW show.
2: It's the Savage, Nash, Hall, and Jarrett show, thank you very much.
1: And I, I guess you could cynically think that is among the bigger problems as well, that like all of this is once again revolving around Planet Jarrett, which he does that promo for the first time this month, by the way. He does the, this is Planet Jarrett, and you're just living in it, or whatever the actual line is. He does that promo for the first time, and yeah, it really is just Planet Jarrett now, isn't it?
2: Yep. It's not exactly an exciting feeling, but hey, it's where we are, and we have to deal with it to get to the good stuff, so...
1: Obviously, like, the direction coming out of this is Jarrett versus Savage. (laughs) Great, Which is a match that never happens. Thankfully, probably. But we will see Macho Man at turning point. So the next story, the continued feud between the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes and Vince Russo finally comes to a head. This is just a bunch of segments. (laughs) Yeah, so they, they set up pretty early in the month. Vince Russo and Dusty have had odds for, for months and months and months and months and months and months and months now. Longer than I think anybody could care. So the October 1st episode, they're all in an office. Uh, that's where they, Funk was supposed to be there. But it turns out that it was actually Harley Race, as the other member of the Championship Committee, was called in. As opposed to Funk. So there's a bunch of vignettes that night where they're all in the Director of Authorities office. Uh, Larry call, walks out. He's like, this is a waste of time. It's so stupid. Harley Race walks out and he's like... Dusty sucks but Russo sucks just as much and then Dusty walks out and he's like they have a failure to communicate daddy and I have my own agenda and he's gonna take care of business
2: I like it Larry Cole's Dusty Rhodes goofy.
1: <laughs> he does, he uses the word goofy which is quite good I do approve of it. Also if you look at the background of all of these segments there's a Chronicles of Riddick poster
2: I was curious what the poster was
1: Yeah, so there you go We should review all of the films that feature on posters in TNA <laughs>
2: Nah. Oh,
1: how could you not love this suggestion? So, October 15th, Impact Franchise has Dusty again. Dusty says Hardy will up the ante tonight as they build to the ladder match. Uh, Russo wants to know what Dusty's talking about. And Dusty's like, don't you worry, Daddy. He's like, I run the show. Would you stop it? <laughs> uh, Dusty wants an election between Russo and Dusty to see who will be the director of authority. Great. <laughs> so... This is '04. This is moving into what the Bush and John Kerry election, right? Yep. So the playing off of that as uh, the next week that we did have a bunch of campaign ads. There's a Dusty Rhodes campaign ad and a Vince Russo campaign ad.
2: Yeah, but um, I like Vince Russo's kind of one where he's like, he's tearing down Dusty Rhodes, and he's like oh, there'll be a show full of promos.
1: It's like interviews on an endless loop said in like the the full political attack ad. It's like, how dare did you know he would have interviews on an endless loop and his bionic elbow is fucking stupid.
2: Yeah. And it's like, all right. And then Dusty has like a a local man running for like council style ad.
1: Yeah, he's like, he has the experience, knowledge, knowledge misspelt, by the way. Spelt K-N-O-W-L-D-E-D-G-E here. And this promo aired at least three times this month, including on Victory Road itself. And they never fixed the typo in knowledge.
2: You know, I take a bag, Dose of Hardy, out of the Hall of Fame.
1: It's either like masterful political satire or bad quality control. And I'm leaning toward bad quality control, but still. Yeah, I'm not giving them the credit for that one. Because it would be a good bit to satirize political ads and misspell the word knowledge. That would be actually a pretty good bit, but I don't think it's a bit. It sure would be a good bit. Uh, uh, yeah, and then Russo ran the, ran the actual attack ad. He's like, I'm a, a law-hardened man from the mean streets of New York. And he carries a big stick. He does carry a big stick. He does have his baseball bat. The franchise has Dusty on that show. Dusty admits to planning a negative campaign. <laughs> he's, he's like, I'm not going to have to have moral high ground here. We're taking each other down. Uh, talks about how he'll make decisive decisions. Jarrett's mad, asks what Dusty's role even is. He's the voice of Liam Jones in this one.
2: Yeah, exactly. Dusty has no role. He's just a fucking sociopath who's making decisions when he has no actual authority to do so.
1: Jarrett shouts at Dusty for like a minute and then Dusty just deadpans. Why, Jeffrey, are we crossed with each other? (laughs) Good, he's so good. That's the outline as well, which is very good. October 29th opens with a Dusty Rhodes campaign stop. He has a campaign event at the start of Impact. He comes out to the Hail to the Chiefs song alongside D-Ray 3000, who has a Dusty 2004
2: sign. I know who D-Ray's voting for.
1: Okay, he should have legally changed his name to D-Ray 2004, where the D stood for Dusty.
2: Ah, Dusty Ray.
1: Dusty hit immediately the God Bless America line. <laughs> Uh, the man is playing the hits. Can't blame him. He does his final campaign speech before he introduces Triel K as the next tag team champions in AMW. We're like, hey,
2: that's a Hey, you're a member of
1: our team, <laughs> you fuck. Yeah, what happened to American Dreams Most Wanted?
2: Uh, he's like, I saw you being a part of Stormy Daniels and I know that's not good for my campaign.
1: So yeah, he's lining up all his validators. He has Triel K there. He has a bunch of people side. He introduces AJ as the next ex-champ. Then Hardy as the next royal champ. Well, he was wrong about two of the three of these. So clearly he shouldn't have won the campaign. Spoilers, Garrett. come on. Uh, Russo interrupts, says it may be the last time he speaks in front of a wrestling audience. Crowd cheers. <laughs> Dusty then got feisty. Russo said he's used to people trying to run him out of the wrestling business because he's the only one who sticks up for the younger talent.
2: Yeah, I. this is insane to me, right? Like, Listen, I don't know if it's true or not. I don't watch no WCW, but... Uh, it does feel a lot like Russo's like, I'm leaving. I'm going to make myself look like the good guy as much as possible.
1: If you look across Russo's history of booking shows largely by himself, you could probably make an argument that he does lean toward younger guys than older guys. Or like, he he makes a, a like, it's not a concerted effort. It's more of like a, a, a token effort toward putting young guys in positions that look on the surface like pushes but really aren't.
0: Mm.
1: Like the Billy Kidman one in WCW is the prime example where like he was meant to be feuding with Hulk Hogan and uh, to the point of elevating him and it it did everything but elevate Billy Kidman. And there's a lot of that throughout his booking history where like he would put a guy like Eric Young in a new position but the push would never last. It would peter out and it would always just end up being like Scott Steiner instead. So, to be fair, it's more complicated than just saying, no, he never does that. But also, it's very much him seeing himself as the guy who gives young people opportunities when the opportunities he does give them might not necessarily be particularly good.
2: Ah, yeah.
1: Like, AJ in TNA is, like, a perfect example. Where it's like, well, yeah, AJ did become world champion, but as a dumbass idiot heel turn where he played second fiddle to you the entire time
2: so like on a base level sure Mm. but if there's any sort of meaningful analysis here it's like not really
1: yeah he then accuses dusty of stealing the young guy's spotlight
2: which he literally does like like but also vince does that (laughs)
1: literally
2: he ruined aj's entire fucking title run
1: how dare you bring up the past he's he's a better man now liam he's learned from those mistakes
2: Although, I I will accept that whole run just for those clips of AJ doing flips into the pool to impress his dad.
1: Uh, and uh, Joy Legend's New York accent, despite his problematic mm-hmm. thoughts this month. Uh, he says regardless of the result, he knows he did the right thing, and then they do a little pull-apart. <laughs> just a little one. It's a, an itty-bitty pull-apart. Uh, later in that show, Roddy Piper comes out. <laughs> We'll talk about the other Piper stuff later, but this ties directly into the Russo Dusty stuff because he comes out to do like a Vox Pop of the crowd about whether they choose Dusty or they choose Russo. But that's not before he does a promo where he calls Scott Hall fat. He was like... They started playing him off he was going on for so long. And he still did like another minute afterwards.
2: He's like, fuck you, I'm going to keep going.
1: Like he ends this promo being like, baby, they should not take the chains off me. Like, you're right, and they're like, maybe we shouldn't. (laughs) Yeah, so he's walking around ringside, being like, Are you voting for Dusty or are you voting for Russo? Like, one guy says Dusty, one guy says Russo. Then he turns to a third guy and he's like, What about you? And he's like, Dustin.
2: And which, you know what, fair, it should be Dustin Rhodes.
1: (laughs) I don't think he's making a joke or anything. I think he just has no idea what's happening. And Piper's like, You mean Dusty, pal? Nah, he's a good kid. He's a good kid. (laughs) Do you think I'm um, him saying Dustin popped Piper? I'm just imagining this one dude who just went to Universal this day. You know, he wants to get the minion or the Thing One and Thing Two T-shirt. He wants to see the minion. glow. Minions weren't invented yet. <laughs> he, the minions are all over the place in the future, but in '05 Universal, it's it's pure. It's only Thing T-shirts there. No minion T-shirts.
2: John Carpenter's the thing.
1: No, uh, Doctor Seuss is the thing.
2: Ah, oh, they should do a collaboration.
1: So he he just wants to ride the mummy coaster. He wants to ride the Hulk, and he sees this live wrestling shows here. So he's dragged in. He wants to see the Chronicles of Riddick. Yeah, he sees that sign, and he's actually, he accidentally finds himself front row in the Impact Zone. And suddenly Roddy Piper is asking him questions.
2: I like to imagine he's just a big Dustin fan.
1: Yeah. Oh, for uh, but for this segment, like, now uh, uh, Taney and West are just talking. They're doing the usual on camera, and bagpipes start playing. And my Taney is like, "What?" And then Down West starts shouting, "Bagpipes! Bagpipes!" <laughs>
2: John West just had flashbacks
1: <laughs> to all the asylum promos. He does. Yeah. He hates bagpipes. So that does bring us to the show itself. Victory road, November 7th, the deciding vote sponsored by backyard wrestling Two. Yeah. Which is awesome. By the way,
2: um, my favorite thing about this entire segment is the fact that there's like a 30% of the crowd that is chanting for
1: Russo. <laughs> well, to be fair, Scott Hudson informs us that the, the vote at the start of the show is 54.8% root <laughs> dusty. Uh, forty-five point two percent Russo. So that you know what—that's a—that's about the right percentage of people chanting for Vince Russo. It's fair enough. Uh, they did a bunch of like fun little political satire about how Russo carried New York, Dusty carried Texas, but Georgia's up for grabs, and how there's been a a web server breakdown in Stamford, Connecticut,
2: which is a great bit.
1: Like they're more aggressively positioning themselves as like the WWE alternative. Like there's those thirty second ads. They I think there's three of them this month.
2: And they're old timer ads.
1: The the we have six appeal ads. The they're the big guys. The the size doesn't matter ad. And then there's a third one as well. Like I like them. I think they're really charming. Yeah, why not? It's like yeah, like even just the wordplay. is like uh, we have six appeal whereas They're just regular old squares. It's like that's that's clever. Well done. That's a good bit. That's much better than I smacked it raw. I want more TNA. <laughs> I take it back. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, Scott Hudson updates us throughout the night on on the status of the poll before uh, Mike Deney comes to the ring and announces that Dusty Rhodes received 55.6%. Vince Russo received 44.4%.
2: He looks so sad. One final sad face for the road.
1: He, he really does sink it in. His saddest of sad faces. And this is his last night with the company. He's done after this. He is actually gone.
2: Good. I mean, actually, I don't know. Maybe.
1: Dusty's your new DOA. Uh, he does a speech. He announces Triple X against AMW and Six Sides of Steel at Turning Point. We'll get into their full feud in a minute. Puts over the upcoming Best Damn Sports show special. Uh, says Hardy will win tonight. And it's like, the boys up north, they're glued to their TVs thinking we have a fight in our hands now. And then Dusty kind of loses track of his promo and keeps talking for a minute, and then it just ends.
2: What a what a blow-off to the Vince Russo legacy.
1: Yeah, this is, I believe... The end of Vince Russo is an on-air character. I, I have in the back of my head, I think he does like one vignette other than this. Well, like a real quick one. But th- like he's not director of authority. He's not a manager. He's not an on-screen character in a meaningful, consistent capacity at all for the rest of TNA history. So Liam, this is the end of Vince Russo retrospective.
2: Well, 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 well. Um, There's been some highs. There's been some lows. Name the highs. Uh, that previous aforementioned segment where he was AJSL's dad? Mm-hmm. When he was a complete psycho, I think he was enjoyable
1: on television. Even, like, the, the early days of sex, he did some good promos.
2: Yeah, he was, a, like, an insane person, and that was great. As soon as he got, like, all boring and religious-y, there was, like, no purpose to him in any capacity.
1: He found Jesus and got boring.
2: Happens to the best of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not exactly... I don't care. I'm glad he's gone, but, like... There was there was a certain level of something to seeing Vince Russo on your screen at the start,
1: and like all the way back to the oh shit it's Vince Russo like his his very first appearance. Uh, the, I don't want to say he felt special because he didn't. <laughs> he felt he felt something. There was something. You did you felt something. I think that is actually the best way to put it. That like no matter what, when he was on screen, you did feel something. Whether it was anger, occasional entertainment, or or just disbelief at whatever he was doing. Like, Vince Russo did make you feel something through his entire TNA run. And the creative was better off when he was slightly more involved.
2: Which is, like, crazy to think about.
1: Yeah, it's like when you look at the first two years, two and a half years leading up to this show, you're like... Well, the, the six months there where it's like they found the balance of, like, Jarrett, Disco, Damore, and Russo, and they were all chipping in ideas. It's like they had a pretty good, like, three, four months there before Dutch came in and ruined it.
2: Yeah. Which, John, honestly, goes back to Hulk Hogan. So really, Hulk Hogan's the problem.
1: Yeah, and, like, the the big talks about Hogan coming in is because they knew, like, Russo was donezo here, that, you know, he, he had served his notice, and he was actually gone. He was done with TNA, he was mm-hmm. moving on. It wasn't a power play, it wasn't any of that, he's, he's just, uh, fair enough, he comes back, Wish he didn't, but... No, he doesn't. <laughs> Shut up. Yeah, this is the end of him his character on TV, which uh, is a, a complicated legacy in many ways. Ruined AJ's first title run, overshadowed it completely. The first title win was all about AJ, that was the first time you got, like, properly mad on this show.
2: Mm, a legacy.
1: <laughs> Again, you felt something. You can't deny it.
2: Yeah, it was pure
1: rage, but I felt something. Mm, and that is what Vince Russo will always get out of us. We will always feel something. What a great cut to the YouTube video that'll be. That brings us to. Bef-
2: whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Before we go on to the next topic, Garrett, uh-huh. I have two big WWE Raw things to tell you.
1: Oh, who was the open challenge person?
2: That doesn't matter. First of all, Garrett, I hate to tell you, the 24-7 title is dead.
1: No! Vince's
2: legacy is being undone. Nikki Cross has thrown the title in the trash.
1: Who is she, Medusa?
2: Yeah. And B, (laughs) Austin Theory cashed his money in the bank in on the US title. (laughs)
1: What is it? Your are calling your trophy over here?
2: <laughs> like, Lashley came out after beating up Mustafa Ali backstage to answer the open challenge and he killed Rollins and then Theory came in and cashed his money in the bank on the US title. And then I think he
1: lost. Oh, no, did he? I
2: like, I think maybe it was like an interference or a DQ because like, the last clip they've uploaded was Bobby Lashley coming back out and beating up. I hope awesome theory.
1: I hope that's the end of his run with the case so badly. Well, he,
2: like, it was fully cashed in, so I guess it is. That would be so good. Please. <laughs> Please. <laughs> On the US title.
1: God bless Paul. He's killing it. All right, that takes us over to the Did You Know Pete Williams is an Amazing Athlete segment of the show.
2: I <laughs> am. Um, I did know that he was an amazing athlete. Uh, but what's this
1: feud amazing? We're about to find out. So, X Division Championship match was set when AJ Styles won a six-man number one contenders match on the October first Impact. It was, listen to the talent in this match, by the way. AJ Styles versus Kid Cash versus Amazing Red versus Alex Shelley versus Chris Sabin versus Frankie Kazarian. <laughs> like, fair enough. Not a lot of these people are stars at this stage, but God, you just have like Red, Shelley, Sabin, and Styles in this match just casually.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's good.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Like there's a there's a base level of goodness to these matches. I,
1: I like I like this match a lot. It was your your classic X Division multi man flippy match. That's seven or eight minutes through an ad break. So that's it's nothing like particularly special. But yeah, real good match. Styles floats uh, from Arana into the Styles Clash to beat Shelly to win to become number one contender.
2: How do they dare to they pin Alex Shelley when Chris Sabin is right there? How
1: dare you even suggest the the, the suggestion of pinning Chris Sabin, best wrestler in the history of wrestling? Shake
2: my damn head.
1: Early in the show, AJ came out, he's like, Russo, when am I getting a title shot? And then Scott Amor was like, we're not giving any title shots to any handouts to any of you people. Even Russo's like, there's no handouts, you'll have to earn it this time. It's like, wait a minute, AJ's always earned it. That's like the whole point. Yeah.
2: Yeah, you're you're saying the the quiet part out loud now.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and like, AJ stood up for Russo as well. At times, like, Russo has nobody to support him. And there's times where, like, AJ's like, I'll support you. And now you're, like, throwing AJ under the bus. That's pretty messed up. And if you remember, like, when he returned to the X Division, he didn't just get a shot. He won a number one contenders match. (laughs) Yeah. (sighs) Poor AJ. But yeah, that did set up the main event in which Styles pinned Shelly. He's number one contender.
2: It's very funny that like McIntyre's like Shelly's better without Goldie, and then he loses.
1: <laughs> but he's getting better opportunities. You see, Liam. He never got a number one contendership match under Goldie.
2: Damn it! Damn it! Damn! Damn!
1: October eighth, Impact: AJ Styles versus Roderick Strong.
2: Awesome. Uh this is AJ going out there trying to get Roderick Strong a job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he takes some crazy bumps. Roderick Strong murders him with a bunch of backbreakers. It's really fun.
1: AJ at this stage just working a five minute TV match. I'm like. Oh, he's so good. <laughs> I'm Against Ronnie, too. I'm just marveling at how good he is. Like all of his bumps, all of his moves, all of his transitions. Like everything that was raw material in 2002 is finished article here in October November 2004. Like he is yeah. AJ Styles. In every capacity. And when you just watch him just do this TV match. First off, he's wrestling Roddy, who is great. Like, Roddy's not fully Roddy in 04, but Roddy's still great in 04. And AJ's just going out there, killing himself. Like, there's a backbreaker in this match. It's, it's literally like the, I'm trying to get you a job backbreaker.
2: <laughs> yeah. They go out there and they just they just crush it. I
1: don't know. Every time I watch AJ on TV, where he, like, every little thing he does just pops and you're like good lord this guy is just there now like legit like he's the best wrestler in this company for, by leaps and bounds and it that's it. it's not even potential anymore he is just the guy and it like they know that as well because as you know at the end of Victory Road he's the guy that comes out as like the first face to oppose Nash, Hall and Jarrett he's the defender of TNA he's the defender of the honour and the integrity of the company because they understand that This guy's just the face of the company now, because that's how good he is, and that's where he should be. And even if he's in the X division, he's still the top guy. No matter what division he's in, he's the face of the company. Straight after this match, you did get the first time they aired the Petey Williams is an Amazing Athlete video package.
2: Now, Garrett, did you know Mm -hmm. Petey Williams is an amazing athlete? No. And... (gasps) The first Canadian X-Division champion. Whoa, whoa. With a deadly weapon that no one has been able to stop. What's that it's weapon? It's a Canadian Destroyer. It's a
1: Canadian Destroyer? Yeah. <laughs> they aired this feature so many times. Like, it aired first here. So, what? 8, 15, 22, 29... And it's, so it airs six times in the month as opposed to, to seven. So, you know, that's a that's restraint.
2: Yeah, they could have gotten
1: more with it, but they decided to... Well, because AJ wasn't the, the number one contender yet. Also, oh, no, they aired on the pay-per-view too. So it is they seven. They do air it on the pay-per-view. That brings it up to seven. Yes. Uh,
2: uh, the pop that we had when they aired it on the pay-per-view is worth going out for the Victory Road.
1: <laughs> Watch along. Yeah, patreon.com slash kidding me. You can listen to the Victory Road Watch Along, where we do lose our minds when PD Williams is an amazing athlete comes out on the, the, the pay per view as well. So, October 15th, PD has a squash match over Jason Piccaro, feigned to go for the Destroyer, but won with the Styles clash instead. Then Scott DeMore covers up PD with his jacket as he reveals he's stolen AJ Styles's hood and vest. Oh my gosh. And then he does AJ's poles, AJ comes out, wipes out Damore and P with a dive and reclaims his vest. Well, that didn't work out very well. They did not play the mind games they anticipated. No. AJ's vest is a cool piece of wrestling gear, though. Would you
2: buy an AJ Styles ring-used vest?
1: Absolutely. Like, for the longest time, any time I'd take my hood down, I'd do like, the AJ pull-it-over-the-front-of-my-face-and-then-throw-it-down
2: thing. I'm going on eBay right now to see if there's AJ Styles Ring Worn gear.
1: <laughs> Cause I'm a, a a giant dork and uh, straight after this match, they aired the PD Williams as an amazing athlete feature.
2: Yeah, did you know that P.D. Williams is an amazing athlete and the first Canadian Exhibition <laughs> Champion? They're going to have a and I'll be able to stop a
1: So on, so forth. October 22, the main event is AJ Styles, Hardy, and Ron Killings against Bobby Roode, Eric Young, and Ruffy Silverstein. We already talked about Hardy pin Silverstein with the Swanton. But during the match, they aired the Pete Williams' Amazing Athlete video, which they also aired earlier in the show so this is the twice How did you know that?
2: <laughs> this is the
1: twice in the show pd williams is an amazing athlete october 29 we then get the hardy versus pd main event the one where styles did the run to cost pd the match then uh november five we get the styles and killings versus jarrett and pd main event in which hardy pins jarrett because he's not in the match And then that brings us to Victory Road, in which AJ Styles faced Petey Williams for the X Division Championship right before the match. Scott Demore did an interview saying that if he lost, if Petey lost, Scott Demore would leave TNA forever.
2: Which is, like, devastating.
1: Why would you? This is one of those things. It's like, one, you think that adds stakes to the match. No, it doesn't. It telegraphs the winner. And two, if you're going to do an angle where hated manager Scott Demore is going to leave the company if his guy doesn't win, I would personally do that angle before the pay-per-view so people might buy the show. Yeah. But it, it's one of those things, it's like, oh, it adds stakes. It's like, no, it doesn't. It just tells you that AJ's going to lose.
2: Yeah. I don't know. Maybe they thought that like they were going to end the Team Canada thing.
1: But like, no, they just literally did it. Literally the segment before the match. Like, Hudson has the more. He says that he's gonna, if PD loses, he's never to be heard from again. And, like, they put those stakes on the match literally two minutes before the guys do their entrances.
2: So maybe they thought people we were going to end it. <laughs> maybe it was for the, the crowd. <laughs>
1: there's, there's no rationalizing this, Liam.
2: Yeah, that's something you should probably announce in advance to hype up something.
1: Or just don't do it at all.
2: Mm. They should have put AJ's Vest on the line.
1: Oh, you see that would have been stakes. I would've bought that. Uh so then, match, exhibition title, PD and AJ.
2: Um, it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it quite lives up to what I want it to be. I would like I would have liked a four star banger, but You know, they go out there, they have a pretty good Exhibition title match.
1: Yeah, they were originally scheduled for 18 minutes, but they got cut down to, I think, about eight or nine, which is the reason it ended up only being a very good match rather than potentially hitting that next level. Also, like, PD isn't quite, you know, the the finished article here the same way AJ is.
2: When does PD become the finished
1: article? I think sometime in 05. Like, PD's never, like, best guy in the division. Mm. But, like, by the time you get to the next AJ-PD match, which is, like, next November, a whole year away... Like, I think PD is as good as PD gets, which is very good.
2: Because I, I think that throughout this run so far, I've always maybe pegged PD a little too high. Mm. And he wasn't quite there yet. So I've I've been perpetually disappointed by his big matches.
1: I don't, but at the same time, when you think about where he was when he had that three way against Hoovy and Jerry Lynn, I'm just
2: talking about like like the whole lead up. Mm. Like ever since he came in, in my head, Petey Williams was the Petey Williams that he would become, and he's just not quite there yet.
1: But he has improved, I think, nearly every time you see him. Yes, but a, a huge vote of confidence here, he wins. <laughs>
2: Yeah, well, that's exactly right. You'd think it'd be a very easy decision to put the title on Styles here as we're heading into this genesis of a new era in TNA wrestling.
1: Yeah, so Demore grabs AJ's leg in the corner as PD hits the Destroyer out of the corner. Cool finish. AJ gets a little in on Demore, so he's not, like, completely losing. But, yeah. Again, if I were booking the show, I probably would have just put the belt on AJ. So I think it is a, a pretty strong vote of confidence in PD... To, even with the interference, have him go out there and beat AJ on the first three-hour pay-per-view. Yeah. Even when you like think logically about it, when AJ's going in against the Kings of Wrestling and Jarrett, surely you'd want him like with momentum and maybe a title. But no, it's like, Petey's our guy, and we're going to back him here. Mm. The other X Division story this month is the Gauntlet match, which is uh, the opener for Victory Road. There's a bunch of videos at the start of the month where they announce a, uh, announce a bunch of competitors. But like most of the names that are in it are ultimately announced in advance. There's not too many surprises. Uh, your usual suspects: your your Sabins, your Shelleys, your Kazarians, your Michael Shanes, your Maggie Bats, Drell Clark's Nasawa, <laughs> the real stars, the usual suspects, Nasawa.
2: I love Nasawa.
1: Well, this is the end of this, uh, Nasawa, so please do your Nasawa retrospective.
2: I think nasawa has been pretty good this run. I think he's had moments where, like, he was actually starting to get over with the crowds. Mm. I think it ended a little bit when they did the Florida. But, like, he was getting reactions.
1: You keep saying this. Even when he came out on the watch line, you're like, oh, big pop for Nasawa And I'm like, hmm. I never said big pop. I said A-pop. I don't know.
2: (laughs) Anyway, he's going to retire in the Tokyo Dome, so fuck you.
1: I guess no one else on this show is going to do that. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, so on the October twenty second, Impact we begin building to this in earnest with a Sanjay Dutton and Chris Sabin against Shazarian ten minute time limit draw. Good match.
2: Yeah, I again just makes me wish there was exhibition tag titles.
1: A weird one to choose to go to a draw. Like just just pin Michael Shane. Who cares? Or pin Sanjay. Or pin Sabin. Or pin Kazarian. You can pin any of the... Oh, p- pinning
2: Sabin, you say?
1: Oh uh, well, no, not in some, by some scrum huh? Alex Shelley. Mm-hmm no don't fix the knowledge Mm. typo I'm very upset Liam fixed the knowledge typo in the notes (laughs) thank you it was misspelled on purpose I saw a red line I had to fight the spell check to get the knowledge typo in there properly (laughs) it updated twice I'm like no I'm misspelling it on purpose (laughs) so if you go to patreon.com slash me or tnachat.com you can see with the show notes knowledge is misspelled and that's on purpose
2: it's basically Garrett's TNA book
1: (laughs) Uh, yeah, it's basically... You're watching it being written chapter at a time. It is 15 pages for this month. Uh, you also get an, an ad-free episode with the show notes. So, there you go. If you're like, wow. I don't want to listen to these ads. You don't have to. For only a buck, you can subscribe. Patreon.com slash me. This is Dutt returning from a dislocated elbow. He's been out for about a month.
2: Yes, ever since he was chucked in a, a garbage can.
1: Mm, so, Saban hits the cradle shock, but time runs out. Larry Z makes the call, and he awards the match to Saban and Dutt.
2: Which makes sense because he was about to win.
1: (laughs) It would be funny if he was about to win with his finish and Larry's like, I pick (laughs) Cesarean."
2: He's like, you know, Cesarean dominated about 70% of the match, though, so... Uh,
1: October 29th, we had a mini Gauntlet match where the winner would enter the X Division Gauntlet at Victory Road at number 20. It featured Chris Saban, Alex Shelley, Frankie Kazarian, Sanjay Dutt, Michael Shane, and Sharkboy.
2: Oh, Sharkboy won.
1: (laughs) Don't you just. Uh, This is a real quick match. Entrance every 45 seconds. Uh, Dot eliminated Frankie with a Rana. Uh, Michael Shane Superkick Dot out. Sabin line Shane out. Shelly dubbed Shark Boy out, which left the Motor City Machine Guns to face off. Sabin and Shelly. <gasps> Sabin won with Cradle Shock.
2: Boo! And the crowd started booing and throwing garbage in the ring,
1: proving he is the superior Motor City Machine Gun once and for all. Just you wait till we get to that random X Division title match in like six years. And their 2022 match, <gasps> Uh which Sabin wins. Um. <laughs> Damn it. No, Shelly
2: wins. Shelly
1: did win. It. <laughs> yes,
2: it counts. I take
1: it back. Oh, goddammit. it! Uh, Mike Tene said a cursed line during this match. Yes. He said that this match is in essence a reverse battle royal.
2: Oh.
1: <laughs> Chills went through our spine. Which one, what are you talking about? It's a regular battle royal. People are thrown over the ropes. <laughs> he just wants to get the term
2: out there for when they do it.
1: <laughs> but Vince Russo in that moment, sitting backstage. With a headset. He's on. like, holy shit. He like pulled out a notepad and wrote down. Actually, oh, no, he ran to the nearest tattoo parlor and got the words, <laughs> Reverse ta- Battle Royal, tattooed on his chest backwards so he could read it in a mirror. Like, this is fucking memento. And he's like, someday, someday.
2: Ugh. Listen, I can't wait to watch that and defend it. Uh,
1: it's stupid, but it is, it's kind of the good kind of stupid. <laughs> Yeah. Saban pinned Shelly with the cradle shock, so he will enter the gauntlet, number 20.
2: And he's pissed about it.
1: <laughs> yeah, he does a promo on the next show. So the next show has a four-way match where the loser, the person pinned, will enter the gauntlet, number one. And then you can be think, geez, it's really unfair to the people that are in this match. They have nothing. They have no reward. But to be fair, they did think about that. The people were drawn at random. Yeah. So yeah, Saban does a promo backstage where he's like, I have to share the ring with 19 other guys at this pay-per-view, this should be the Chris Sabin show, which I do agree with the sentiment.
2: Yeah, I don't know about that.
1: Shazarian walk in, there's like, it's a conspiracy, all the names in that pod say Kazarian, you might as well just pull out the last name. Franchise pulls out the last name, and he's like, ooh, watch a surprise.
2: Well, actually, I think he says they all say Michael Shane, because he thinks he's going to be put in there to fight Kazarian.
1: Yeah, so the, either way, it's a conspiracy against them, and Franchise is surprised at who the final man of the match is.
2: It's Michael Shane. <laughs>
1: <laughs> It'd be really funny if he's like, whoa, then it just was Michael Shane. <laughs> so Frankie Gazarian, Amazing Red, Matt Seidel, and the debuting Spanky faced off at a four-way with the loser entering the gauntlet number one. I thought Spanky looked good here. Well, the match is 90 seconds. I meant like physically. He was in good shape, wearing some shorts. Yeah, good
2: shape, had some good gear. He didn't have the shorts, he had um, the regular trunks. Did he? The pay-per-view with the shorts. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, I was excited for Spanky, and then I was like, I'm pretty sure he doesn't do much.
1: (laughs) No, this is it. You're not going to get any more Spanky until 2010.
2: So I'm curious if there was bigger plans?
1: I don't know. I think they just wanted a surprise for the gauntlet, and he's the guy with a name. Okay. Because there was another name they were looking to get for the gauntlet. You might have heard of him. His name is Jushin Liger.
2: (laughs) I'm unfamiliar.
1: Uh, But they couldn't get him, so... They were looking for people for the gauntlet. Shane tried to interfere, accidentally cost Kaz the match, as Spanky wins with the sliced bread number two. He's my favorite
2: move in wrestling.
1: And he will be in the gauntlet. He gets nothing for winning this match, but Frankie will enter the gauntlet number one for losing.
2: He gets momentum.
1: That's true. The the match was 90 seconds long. (laughs) Momentum. Which brings us to the opening match of Victory Road.
2: The best match on
1: the show. Uh, It probably was. This match rocks. I love this match. No, probably. I'm looking at your ratings. That's true. I did give it four stars, and <laughs> I gave two other matches three and a quarter, three-quarter stars. So,
2: yeah, I think this match is great. We were talking about it on the Watch Along. This feels like the perfect kind of opener for what could potentially be a bunch of new first-time fans for the company.
1: Yeah, so Hector Garza defeats Kazarian, Sanjay Dot Puma debuting. Uh, old TJ Perkins over here.
2: Looked uh, good. I thought he would have been a good addition for more stuff. I think he sticks around more than I think.
1: Uh, He's not like a regular, but he does pop up a bunch.
2: Yeah, he does like an X-Cup?
1: Yeah, he does like 06 X-Cup. Does he do the 2008 X-Cup? Either way. He's he's around.
2: Garrett, I found a six-sided ring on eBay.
1: I still have my six-sided ring. Thank you very much.
2: (laughs) Oh, did it come with an exclusive AJ Styles?
1: Is it the red one? Yeah. Yeah, I have the red AJ too. Oh my gosh. Yeah, don't you question.
2: Can you... Okay, if you had to guess which... Five wrestlers... Six wrestlers are on the box. Can you remember what it is?
1: Uh, Jeff Jarrett. No. Oh, what the fuck? (laughs) Uh, Monty. No. Who's... AJ.
2: No. What? what? Who's on this box? Ron Killings. Yeah. The Naturals. Of course. Shazari.
1: Naturally. Elix Skipper. Those are the six people that first come to mind when you think Six sided Ring. So, yeah, sure.
2: And on the back, we have AJ... These are the actual action figures on the back. The front is a picture. On the back, we have AJ Styles, Abyss, in like his weird uh, tribal tattoo side gear. Oh, no. Uh, We have Jeff
1: Hardy. How gutted do you think Abyss is that he took the action figure sample photos the day he had that gear?
2: (laughs) I don't mind that gear. You hate it way more than me. Terrible gear. Raven, Jeff Jarrett with NWA title. Mm, Naturally. And
1: shark boy give me a shell yeah
2: so if you want that it's only two hundred ninety nine dollars australian
1: shark Boy's is a very smart person to put in like the first figure on he's a very distinctive action action figure
2: oh. and uh great for uh, he's man he's getting royalties for days on this
1: year those marvel figures rule too
2: i never i don't think i have any of them i have the later ones
1: uh, so there's Gauntlet. Hector Garza defeated Kazarian, Sanjay, Puma, L.A. Park, Jarrell Clark, Miyamoto, Michael Shane, Nasawa, Mikey Batts, Alex Shelley, Matt Seidel, Sonny Siaki, Jason Cross, Boy, Psychosis, D-Ray 3000, Amazing Red Spanky, and Chris Saban in a 20-man X-Division Gauntlet match. It came down to Kazarian and Garza as the final two, with Kaz going coast to coast because he entered first, but Garza rolled him up for the win.
2: Yeah, after doing all these crazy fucking moves, he gets a roll up win. But it's really good to see Hector Garza again. Dude is awesome. Love him whenever he shows up.
1: Yeah, so uh, Garza is getting a push. He he looks like a star, and they know it.
2: Yeah, whenever he shows up, he always uh, he always impresses very quickly.
1: So this match was the first time I've seen Sonny Siaki. <laughs> like like when I was watching TNA for the first time, I was popping in my DVDs, and I had not seen Sonny Siaki before. When I saw this match. And there's a 60-second stretch when he comes out where he's throwing dudes around with Northern Light suplexes, with throwing Samoan drops, with pop-up power slams. Like, (laughs) he seems like the biggest badass ever. So the first time I saw him, I was like, this dude just can't miss. He's going to be the biggest star in the world. Look at him throwing these dudes around. It's insane. But then you watch a regular Sonny Siaki match and you're like, oh, wait a minute. (laughs) He's actually quite boring.
2: Yeah, um, well, that's, like, uh, the dude should have, like, just been a power junior. That's very clear from what we're seeing. He's, all of his best stuff is when he's in the X Division and he's just throwing dudes around.
1: Which they just never did. They just constantly put him in the ring with, like, David Young. Mm. <laughs> what are you doing? Uh, Shelley did the injured stick on the floor, which was all just to eliminate Matt Sydal. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate the commitment to that bit. I think his
2: plan was to do it for more, but Sidel just ruined it. <laughs>
1: that's not a very good plan then. Goldilocks would have planned that much better. Yeah. Saber did a cool overhead German onto Kaz off the top rope, and then they landed on Garza. It rocked. Uh, so yeah, Garza wins. Uh, that's the exhibition done for the month. Uh, let's take things over to the tag division, where Triple X and AMW are still your mismatched tag team champions. Boy, are they! <laughs> Starting the month off hot with, with my favorite story and Liam's least favorite.
2: I don't think that's my least. I like the story. I just, I don't know. The match is never delivered.
1: So first thing back of the month, October 1st, you do get the Naturals versus James Storm and Christopher Daniels in a non-title match. Uh, <coughs> worth noting, Daniels has his good TNA theme now. I didn't even notice. Ah, he doesn't have the spin cycle theme anymore. He has the good TNA, the, the fake. I don't even know who song that is. I don't know music well enough. Not that I would ever suggest Dale Oliver would rip off a song. <laughs>
2: Actually, I enjoy these two together more than I do anyone else. Oh,
1: so you're Don West. Don West was so into the idea of Stormy Daniels.
2: Yeah, I'm glad you've decided that was the best
1: combination. He's like, look at them. Look how well they team together.
2: Oh, it's, um, reach out and touch face. Do, 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 do. Is it? Personal Jesus. But also Beautiful People. It's weird. It's two songs mixed together.
1: I, I adored the finish of this match. So Daniels does a Yoranagi and then goes to do the BME but Storm just picks one of the Naturals up and Daniels just completely misses. Yeah, he just fucking eats shit. This was a good finish. Like, they always do the, you know, they accidentally run into each other finish, which is actually one they do later in the month. But this finish of just, like, Storm doesn't know Daniels' finish well enough, so he just picks him off the mat when he's going for his best moonsault ever is such a good finish.
2: I also love that the actual tag team of the Naturals win
1: here. Uh, Yeah, which is always a nice touch that the actual team beats the two singles wrestlers.
2: But um, they should probably get a title match, huh? Uh,
1: Stevens rolls up Storm for the win. Mm. AMW and X got into it as the Naturals and Team Canada watched on. Yeah, you would think the Naturals are the team that get the tag title match here, but...
2: Hmm. Nope.
1: So, the following impact. AMW and X are arguing. Harris tries to make amends and he's like, We have to get on the same page to defeat Team Canada for the tag titles next week. As Daniels and Storm agree to give Team Canada a title match.
2: Uh, Team Canada, also on the October 8th show, they get attacked by Team Canada.
1: Oh yes, yes, they're 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 coming out, they're supposed to be wrestling Kid Cash in Dallas, but the Canadians attack them and lay them out.
2: It's when we get Ruffy Silverstein for the first time.
1: Yeah. Uh, I like the way uh, Mike Tanay is like, who's that guy? And Don West is like, it's Ruffy Silverstein. It's like, Don, how do you know? He's the professor, of course. This is where also LK make the save, which is their only role in the show is just to run out and run people off.
2: Should we just hit the three OK stuff while we do it? Because they really just have squash matches.
1: <laughs> yeah, they basically just win a match and they're number one contenders. There's there's literally nothing to it. <laughs> they beat the
2: tremendous team of Eric Stevens, Spider Nate Webb, and John Thaddeo.
1: <laughs> a, a great jobber team, yeah. And then they they beat the Naturals. Yeah, BG and Conan beat the Naturals to become number one contenders for the. I guess year. that
2: makes sense as to why the Naturals didn't get the shot, but sure
1: they did get at least a number one contenders match. So, yeah, they have to unite to take down the Canadians, as Don says on commentary. They've got to unite to make sure Canada is vanquished. <laughs> and they they unite. Uh, so, yes, October 15th, Impact, the same show where Hardy and Monty had the number of contenders match, was main evented by Eric Young and Bobby Roode, defeating Christopher Daniels and James Storm to become the new NWA world title champions.
2: I think um this would have been better if it had any real build to this. Mm-hmm. But... It doesn't, so it always kind of felt just out of place. I think it would have just been better to have the Naturals win.
1: Yeah, and then you do Naturals against K. Yeah. So, yeah, Damore, Harris, Skipper were all banned from ringside. 30-minute time limit because it is a title match. They completely bottled the finish. So Young... Well, actually, it wasn't their fault, to be fair. It was the referee's fault. Young pushed Daniels into Storm, allowing Rue to roll up Storm, like clearly 100% meant to be the finish, but the referee just didn't count three. He only counted two. He said it was a kickout. Then Young grabbed a quick cradle on Daniels. It was relatively seamless given their finish was just botched by the referee, but it's it's not ideal.
2: Yeah. It, I don't know. This was kind of a flat
1: match. It mm, didn't even have a good finish like the other one did. Yeah. Yeah. The Team Canada, they're your world tag team champions. They hold two of the three belts in the company now. It is cool to see Young and
2: Rude teaming up and getting the titles And I think
1: it is the right combo, because there was a while where Rude and Petey was the team in this group, and like Divine and Rude, and they they tried a bunch of them. I think Young and Rude is the right two.
2: If Divine wasn't stabbed, it probably would have been Divine and Rude. Do you think
1: Divine's pissed?
2: I think Eric Young did it. (laughs) I think he orchestrated the stabbing.
1: Oh, dear. Eric
2: Young and Kid Cash, they were plotting backstage.
1: So, main event for the October 22 show is the Styles Hardy and Killings Against Team Canada match that they lose.
2: Did you know that Petey Williams is an <laughs> amazing
1: athlete?
2: And the first exhibition champion.
1: Whoa! With
2: a devastating move that knows they have to beat
1: the Canadian store. After a, a returning NYC match, we'll talk about the NYC when we're talking about Trinity.
2: <laughs> Do we have to?
1: Yes, we do. AMW and Triple X brawled into the building and then Daniels made a challenge for a last team standing match at Victory Road. You might be asking, a last team standing match, like a last man standing match with a tag team, sounds like a disaster. You'd be right, but we can talk about that in a sec.
2: (laughs) Disaster, but not for the reasons you may expect. I think
1: it's for the reasons you expect, plus other reasons.
2: I don't know. I think in theory it works, because it. if it wasn't the pin thing, it wouldn't work, mm. but the pin makes it work.
1: Yeah, we'll talk about it in a sec. So, next impact, October 29, BG and Conan defeat the Naturals and become number contenders for the tag team titles. Talk to me about this match, Liam. Tell me about your feelings about BG and, and Conan. <laughs> Do
2: you want my feelings about the match or about BG and Conan?
1: Uh, both.
2: <sighs> the match is whatever, and I hate these two.
1: <laughs> good, good thoughts. BG still, by the way, says N W A T N A in his, his, his spiel. I think it's just TNA now, BG.
2: Oh my god, BG getting something wrong? <laughs> These are such, like, stupid pot shots to take on a guy that's always losing anyway.
1: <laughs> but the the worst part of this is that, like, Ron's not doing anything at the pay-per-view.
2: Yeah, why can't it just be, like, BG and Ron if you want BG in there so
1: badly? Why is Ron not in this match? Like, what are you doing? He's not in the tag title match of the pay-per-view. He's in a random eight-man tag on the pay-per-view.
2: He has a very important uh, hate man tag to be in.
1: So yeah, BG Conan hit the catchphrase as Conan pins Andy Douglas with a power bomb, And they'll be tag team number one contenders. Uh, November 5th, James Storm faces Christopher Daniels. And it ends in like 50 seconds by disqualification.
2: Yeah. I was I was really excited for this match. So I was like, cool, a James Storm's Christopher
1: Daniels singles match. Sounds great. Skipper interferes immediately, causing a DQ. Yeah. The naturals ran in for some reason, AMW dispatched them, then Triple X handcuffed Harris to the ropes, and Pillman Storm's leg. Security made the save, and then Daniel still hit him in the chair in the leg with the chair anyway. It's like security's kinda pointless. Rest in peace. James Storm's leg.
2: To no. Rest in peace to the greatest three-week tag team of all time stormy daniel yes they
1: have imploded here we get the full triple x heel turn where they they like they were doing a kind of mutual respect thing with amw for a few months at this stage you know they they were at odds with each other but largely allies and and tag champs together for a while but in both combinations but now they've turned heel they attack storm's leg with a chair and daniel's asked the question how do you win a last team standing match if you can't stand up
2: Good line. Um, I much prefer Triple X as a heel tag team. I don't think they've ever quite gotten back to where they were the first run. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm excited for the prospect of this. I think the match at the pay-per-view would have been really good if not for Elix Skipper dying. <laughs> so, I don't know. I, I'm i honestly pretty disappointed with Triple X.
1: Did you just miss Loki?
2: Well, I don't, I don't even think Loki was the thing that was holding it all together because they the tag team did really
1: well too. It's just, I don't know. I think like, I think Daniels can work face or heel. I think he's a better heel, but he can work both. I think Skipper, he's just too naturally cocky to work as a babyface.
2: Yeah. I just, I don't think I've even, even outside of that first, like besides the tag cage match, which was great. I don't think triple X have done a ton for me.
1: They had the, the match against red and the SAT as well. That match rocked.
2: Yeah. I don't know. But like, that's, it's been three years. <laughs> <laughs> and that you've named two matches
1: they did have like more than one good match for the AMW to be fair I know but it's
2: yeah it's just it hasn't quite lived up to my expectations what I've learned throughout this month is that my expectations are too high
1: <laughs> you should lower your expectations I got, for these I've i've to, I gotta lower them a bit uh, Victory Road, Free Live Crew defeat Team Canada to win the NWA World Tag Team titles
2: I have nothing to say about
1: this Demore tries to interfere with the hockey stick Truth runs out to run him off Conan pins Rude with the K factor which is the X factor but with a K
2: Worst match on the show.
1: Yeah, probably. (laughs) The three live career tag team champions for a second time. If you even remember their first run, which I barely did,
2: because it was like a week.
1: (laughs) And then AMW defeated Triple X in an elimination last team standing match. That was an absolute disaster. Yeah. So, Eli Skipper gets concussed in the first 90 seconds of this match. It's either on a heart attack or Harris does a top rope leg drop. It's probably one of those where he gets concussed. And the match just falls to pieces. And it's kind of scary to watch. It is. I don't think the other people in the match know Skipper is injured until literally after Daniels is eliminated. Like, they know he's not, like, all there. It's very, very clear as the match goes on that he's not all there. Yeah. But I don't think he actually communicates to them that his bell has been rung until after Daniels has been eliminated in which it's too late because then it's down to... So Storm is eliminated after Daniels hits him in the leg with a chair. Then then Harris eliminates Daniels with a leg drop to the back of the head which is a really shitty move to do a 10 count on, by the way. But Though I suppose it, it, it yeah. might have rung Skipper's bell earlier in the match so who am I to say?
2: The thing that is about this too is like we're talking about it once again on the watch along but Daniels is enough of a pro that if this was... If he if he if he did know, he probably would have been able to just work around it and swap it around and work the last part of the
1: match. Yeah, I don't believe for a second that Daniels. Made the call that he knew Skipper was like injured or had his bell rung, and still made the call to let Skipper do the final part of the match. I like Daniels is a, a ten year vet at this stage, longer. Like he know he would full well just be like, "All right, Skipper, get out of here. I'll do the last part of the match." Which makes me think you see on the floor after Daniels has been eliminated, Harris goes out to the floor to Skipper, and you can see them very clearly communicating that's like, "Oh, he's in trouble, and he's in lots of trouble." Yeah. It's like he's he's missing moves all over the place. He's falling. He looks like he can barely stand up. He it, it's as he said it's it's a pretty scary match to watch,
2: one hundred percent. Especially
1: when you realize he is like fully concussed and like the match is a disaster. It's a terrible match. Like the stipulation, I think an uphill climb in the first place to do like a, a tag team last team standing match, like. Just to to work out the kinks of that kind of match. And they didn't even do plunder either, for the most part. They just did a regular tag, which made it a little weirder. So, I, I think that was an uphill climb at the, in the first place. But to then have Skipper have his bell rung literally 90 seconds into the match, literally on like the third or fourth spot in the match, they, they were doomed, and the match fell apart completely. Yeah. Uh Harris hit a catatonic onto a chair, he landed head first, it wasn't ideal. Uh then Skipper kind of kicked out still, but Andrew Thomas is like, fuck it, that's a three count, and counts him down for the ten. Post match angle, triple X, handcuff AMW, beat them down with chairs to set up Dusty later in the show announcing that Triple X will face AMW in a six sides of steel cage match at the next pay per view turning point. Mm-hmm. I am glad that like it would have been such a, a shame if this was the losing team to Spans match. If this was like the, yeah. the, this is the end of the feud match and it just ended like this, at least they can come back the next month to do that match.
2: Yeah, It would have been some awful timing otherwise. Mm,
1: like if it fell apart for the, the, like this one, oh, that would have been a, a real tragic end to XXX as a tag team. Whereas I think they get a, a very triumphant end to XXX as a tag team next month instead. All right, we're into best of the rest. Let's start with your favorite, Trinity.
2: Wow. Uh, she's not my favorite. Uh Why not? I don't know, man. I mean, actually, maybe I take that back because I really did love her effort on the pay-per-view.
1: <laughs> so, October 22nd, we get the return of the New York Connection. There's a couple of vignettes earlier in the month, but the NYC are back. Uh, yay. They face El Fuego and Scott Papper.
2: Scott Papper is my favourite wrestling name of all time. In good
1: shape, Scott Papper. It's mm. too good to be a job guy. El Fuego's there too.
2: It's crazy that he got signed to AEW all those years later.
1: That's true. He is his father, actually. The Fuego. That means the Fuego in Spanish. The <laughs> yes. Fuego is Fuego in Spanish. <laughs> uh, this is Swinger and Gilberti's Impact in-ring debut. <laughs> Which is crazy. They've been on the show for the entire time Impact's been on the air, but they're like, let's let's keep them out of the ring on the show. We can't do it.
2: How much longer is Gilberti sticking around? Until the end of the year. All right, we're
1: almost out. Uh, Pinfoy go after an assisted pedigree where a Swinger lifted the legs. Uh, and the NYC are back. Trinity was on commentary as well. She made an open challenge for any woman, anywhere at Victory Road.
2: The Knockouts division is forming.
1: Oh yeah, this is the beginning. Uh, we had the X-Division gauntlet match on the October twenty nine show. Trinity showed up halfway through. She grabbed a mic. She said, I wanted to be in the match, but Vince Russo wouldn't let me. And then she says the words, Trinity enters ring. <laughs>
2: that should be her catchphrase she should say it every time before she runs to the ring which
1: you could read that one of two ways she is declaring that she is going to enter the ring or the way I like to read it she is reading the stage directions
2: that's 100% what happened
1: or you know she's doing her promo and then it says Trinity enters ring so that Don Harris can come out and pull her out and, and, and carry her away and she just reads the words Trinity enters ring yeah. But I agree. Make it her catchphrase. Own it.
2: And you can play it off forever as if it wasn't a fun. Yeah,
1: she, she's, she'd never do such a thing. We had that four way X Division match Spanky versus Kazarian versus Red versus Sidal. Trinity interrupted that one too. In fact, it was a 90 second match where like 30 seconds of it was Trinity on the floor.
2: Yeah. And 30 seconds of it was Spanky's like debut.
1: Yeah. So Trinity interrupts and reminds people she'll be on the pay per view. Russo comes out and it's like, you will have a match, but you won't like your opponent
2: how it works most of the time.
1: That is generally how it works. It is very rare that people do like their opponents. And usually when that does happen, it leads them to not liking their opponents. (laughs) Yes. Uh, That might be the last decision Vince Russo made as director of authority, Liam.
2: No, because he then immediately after that announced who was going to be Jeff Hardy's replacement in the main event. (laughs)
1: true. Him putting Ron Killings in the main event is the final decision Vince Russo made as DOA. (laughs) And then... Victory Road, Trinity Face, the mystery opponent of Miss Jackie Moore herself, Jacqueline.
2: All right, I'm so into it. I love Jackie Moore so much. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm excited for it. I don't know what. And doesn't she like eventually link up with like Storm and? shit? Oh, she
1: disappears after this for three years.
2: <laughs> yeah, but like that's like a long, long thing away, right? Yeah,
1: she does nothing in between, but she comes back as Storm's manager.
2: I, I loved some Jackie Moore. I think she's always been real good, and it's fun to this match. Was, I really enjoyed this match.
1: And Jackie is one of those people who just has the the Natural veneer of toughness. Yeah. She is the most natural badass. It's like, yes, she will just fuck you up.
2: Yeah, 100%. It's a fun match, honestly. It's
1: pretty good. Yeah, she comes out here. She's running wild. She's kicking ass. She's like German suplexing the NYC in Trinity. Eventually, Swinger hangs Jackie up on the rope. She even hits like a crossbody off the apron to take them all out.
2: I imagine if there was actual plans for the women's division at this point, they would have been like, yeah, right, stick around.
1: Yeah, Trinity and Jackie are, are like, the, you know, not the five-star classics, but they, they, they're two people you can build a division on. Yeah. Uh, Swinger hung Jackie up on the ropes, allowing Trinity to hit her moonsault to win. Hell yes. I do like, kind of like that they gave Trinity a match on this show.
2: Yeah, especially as part of like a free brand, mm. the third in like three months. Uh but like it's, I think it was important to give Trinity some shine
1: cuz I, I do think in many ways Victory Road is more the end of the Asylum era than the start of the Pay-Per-View era. Yeah. Where you get like the wacky X Division Gauntlet. You get the Jeff Jarrett main event. You get the Trinity match. You get the Styles X Division match. You get the AMW Triple X match. You get a minis match for some reason, which is the next thing we're talking about. Masquita Mascarita Sagrada defeated Piritita Morgan.
2: Which is actually a fun match.
1: It's a nice little match for what it is, but it's like, it's just a random minis match drawn on the show, which is a thing they did for the anniversary show this year, too. It's like, it doesn't actually feel like the start of a new year. It actually does feel like the Final Asylum show more than the Final Asylum show did.
2: Mm. Garrett, while we're on the topic of Trinity, Mm -hmm. can you name three films she did
1: stunts in? (laughs) She did stunts in Electra. That is true. I know she said that multiple times.
2: (laughs) Although not listed on her IMDb.
1: It, or was it, she does stunts for Electra in Daredevil? Was that it? I think it was just Daredevil. But she played Electra in Daredevil. Yes, yeah, so but there was an Electra movie separate, wasn't there? Yes. But she didn't get to do stunts for that. I
2: guess that not. That seems quite rude. I'll let you know right now, one of the other movies on here we have already mentioned in this show.
1: God, what, would have, what have we mentioned in this show? Mmm. <laughs> the, the sting the moment of truth. No. Damn. <laughs> what are the others?
2: That would have been a great reach
1: spider-man 2
2: oh good for her
1: i'll let you know we mentioned spider-man 1 but i'll allow it yeah no 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 no
2: <laughs> some other fun ones that she did she did Stuart little too did
1: she do the stunts for Stuart little i can only imagine how would you do a stunt for for mice don't worry about it school of rock did she do the stunts for jack black
2: i can only imagine mm. eternal sunshine of the spotless
1: mind oh what were the stunts in that movie war of the worlds did she do the stunts for tom hanks is he in that movie Probably. The Bourne Ultimatum.
2: Did she do the stunts for Matt Damon? Well, she wasn't a stunt double in that movie. She was just on stunts. Oh,
1: she was guiding the stunts.
2: Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. She stunts for Shia LaBeouf. No, just stunts in that way, not a stunt double. Sex and the City 2. Did she do the stunts for Sarah Jessica Parker? No, but she did do the stunts... Wait a minute. But for Kim Cattrall.
1: What are the stunts? In Sex in the City. In three. an episode of Sex in the City in 2003. <laughs> what are the stunts? <laughs> Someone take a bump through a table?
2: Go watch uh, the Domino Effect episode of Sex in the City and try and work out if you can see uh,
1: which bump Trinity takes. Yeah.
2: What's she doing now? It's a
1: pretty legit career, to be fair. These are like real movies.
2: Yeah, she's like an actual stunt woman. On April 19, 2012, she became, became competing in roller derby as a member of the Strong Island Derby Re- Revolution. Oh, yeah. That's like her last thing that's mentioned on here. Uh, except for her one night only
1: return. Mm. What's,
2: happening, what's happening with Trinity? We need an update.
1: Your Trinity, what do you opt to? You enter in rings?
2: Of course, 2003 Babe of the Year award.
1: Well deserved.
2: Her Only one of two championships she's ever won.
1: What was the other one?
2: The Cyberspace Wrestling Federation Women's
1: Championship. Well deserved. Apparently <laughs> she wrestled as the untamable spirit. It's true. You watch NWATNA. No one can tame her. Not even freaking Kid Cash.
2: Oh, I a of it. All right. She was the Italian uh, finesse at one point, oh.
1: but also American power. Yeah, she's Italian-American. She can hit both sides. Mm, pick a side. Johnny B. Bad made his TNA debut on the November 5th episode. He defeated Tony Stradlin. Tony Stradlin? He beat him with a TKO. He hit a Frankensteiner. This is Johnny B. Bad's first match in two years.
2: I'm not into the Johnny
1: B. Bad. They inform us that Johnny B. Bad, the former Mark Miro, by the way, in case you don't know him by his WCW name, he will be in an eight-man tag team match at the view, which he was. <laughs> this is the build for this it match. It was. That's, that's <laughs> all there was. So it's Ron Killings, Eric Watts, Johnny B. Bad, and the newly repackaged Empire Saint Pat Kenny face the team of Kid Cash Dallas and the Naturals.
2: Pat Kenny has forgone his Italian heritage.
1: He is now embracing his New York heritage, but separate from the NYC. Oh,
2: much like Trinity,
1: <laughs> pick a side. He's a New Yorker, separate from the New York connection.
2: That's a perfect New York accent. Oh, thank you. It's because of your, it's because of your Italian heritage. I've learned from Vince Russo. Hopefully, <laughs> that's the only thing.
1: So Johnny Bad hit Stevens with a Frankensteiner. Truth followed with a pedigree, which Mike Denae, as He always does when anybody hits a pedigree. He called it a, a double arm DDT. <laughs> Great. Uh, this again. This in some ways feels like a tribute to the asylum with like acts like killings, Watts, Kenny, Naturals, Cash, and Dallas getting like a match on the pay per view.
2: Yeah, it felt like a goodbye.
1: It's a lot of asylum regulars
2: and Johnny B. Bad.
1: Yeah, the debuting Johnny B. Bad too.
2: Yeah, do you want to talk about the? Uh, Masquerita Sagrada Prita Morgan match now
1: I thought we already did but it was <laughs> I thought you were
2: gonna go a bit more into it <laughs>
1: I thought we I guess it didn't say the finish Sagrada won with a cradle
2: yeah there you go what, uh,
1: what else you wanna say you want? It, 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 you brought it back up go
2: Here's the... Mike Posey got beat up again he has terrible luck in these kinds of matches the
1: minis dude
2: be jumping on Mike Posey it's true Prita Morgan hit a splash and then acted
1: like Masquerita Sagrada died <laughs> he did it was a big splash
2: it was a good bit God, we have two real highlights that so we could end this. We're week. ending
1: a monster's ball, so let's do Piper's first. Oh no! <laughs> so it was announced. Mike today in the ring. He stood in the ring on the first Impact of the month on October first. He made two announcements. He announced that Victory Road will take place in Orlando. Big pop, to be fair,
2: pulled a great face. He did
1: pull up a, a great face, and the crowd, to be fair, did go pretty nuts. They're very happy to see. It. He announced it will be a big interactive weekend with a fan fest and whatnot. And then he also announced that Hot Rod Rowdy Roddy Piper would return to TNA on Impact next week. And I audibly gulped. <laughs> uh, Piper, who was known for some of the worst segments in TNA history, is back and doing it again. <laughs> sure is. I didn't bring up healthcare this time, though. Uh, so, October 8th, Piper comes to the ring. He says he's back because he's a wrestling fan. He pays tribute to the big boss man who died a couple weeks beforehand and uh, then ran down his credentials about everything he's done. Now he's like, he's free and nobody will tell him what to do. Yep. he talks about how he will host a special edition of In the Pit with Roddy Piper not to be mistaken with his other show Piper's Pit, completely different this is In the Pit with Roddy Piper yeah,
2: different. different. Uh, this one's the more
1: popular totally one. different format he'll have a special mystery guest and he'll ask whatever he wants to ask and drops the classic you do not throw rocks at a guy who's got a machine gun line
2: hmm. well let's talk about all the stuff he talked about <laughs>
1: So, for the rest of the show, up until Victory Road, there's, there's a lot of Roddy Piper segments. <laughs> yeah. Oh, before we go on to those, when Roddy Piper mentioned that Big Bossman saved his life once, he was referring to a time when he and Kerry Ron Eric were high on drugs and standing on the ledge of a building where if either of them had taken one wrong step, they would have fallen to their deaths. So they're apparently so out of it, they were oblivious to the danger, and Bossman literally grabbed them and brought them to a safe place.
2: Look forward to that scene in the movie.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. Who's going to play Roddy Piper?
2: That's the question, isn't oh, it? Oh, it's going to
1: be the GFW dude. It's going to be Brett Grantstaff. <laughs> it probably should be. Uh, so, uh, in the build-up to in the pit with Roddy Piper at Victory Road, we had a bunch of uh, Roddy Piper reminiscing segments. Let me tell you right
2: now: uh, never watch any of these segments on two
1: times speed. <laughs> oh though those would give you a fucking seizure. It is hell. <laughs> They're weirdly edited like YouTube videos from like 2015. Yeah. So that like whenever Roddy Piper would say like the word coconut or banana, they would cut to a stock photo of coconuts and bananas. Yeah. it was, He was doing a video essay. And it's like hectic. It's hectically edited. He talks about how he was a shooter and nobody wanted to go on his show. Uh, he talks about the snooker one. Uh, he goes through like the, the entire snooker angle and how that was super famous. He He then did the like Vox Pop one. So, yeah, there's a bunch of reminiscing about Roddy Piper and In the Pit with Roddy Piper, again, completely separate from Piper's Pit. Which leads us to the pay-per-view, Liam. Yes. In which Roddy Piper hosts his edition of In the Pit with Roddy Piper, and his special surprise guest is Jimmy Snooker. Which is
2: cool, because, like, on the lead-up to this, he was really racist to Jimmy Snooker.
1: <laughs> well, that's the whole shtick, that, that you know, the whole hitting him with a coconut was racist and inappropriate. Yeah, but like, then when he said
2: more racist stuff in the build-up, he didn't apologise for that. Maybe
1: that's what made him think about it. Maybe he didn't have the mystery guest locked in until he started reminiscing. And then he's like...
2: Ah... And he's like, man, on impact, I I told you some bad things.
1: I- I've got to make amends for my wrongdoings. So he invites Snook out. Piper does the entire spiel about how, you know, you and I made magic in history together, but I was wrong. I should have never hit you with the coconut. It was inappropriate. And I want you to even the score. Hands Snook a coconut and says, hit me. He turns his back on him and is like, hit me. He doesn't hit him. He doesn't hit him. He shows restraint. Kid Cash interrupts. It does his old running down the legend stick. It calls because Piper said something to the extent of, like, Snooker was X-Division before there was X-Division. Kid Cash was like, fuck that! I'm the real X-Division guy. True. Cash and Shazarian, for some reason, attacked Jimmy Snuka. Sanjay made the save, but then Cash dropped Sanjay with a coconut. And Shazarian were like, what the hell, man? While Cash was like, hey, look what I did, I hit him with a coconut.
2: And then, like, when the the other bad guys were like, you took it too far. He's like, well, it was it was already in there, All my fault. Like, I didn't bring the coconut to the ring, I just used it. Yeah, um, this segment sucks because Jimmy Snooker is in it. Mm-hmm. That's a fair assessment. <laughs> but yeah, um, fuck off. I don't care.
1: <laughs> that is also a fair assessment. Like to put yourself in the '04 shoes, uh, I, I'm, I, how much do people care about seeing Piper and Snooker in a ring again together? I don't know. Like. It was the the most pushed episode of Piper's Pit. Like Mike Tene was shouting about how like the, the, it was their most famous episode. They they wrestled a bunch afterward. It's the defining Piper's Pit episode. So, I guess it, it it felt meaningful at the time. I I don't know. I was twelve. I can't. and You were what like five? When the when was so it? Oh, four. You were six, seven. Yeah, you were seven, I was 12. We are not the fair assessors of whether or not people were interested in this Roddy Piper-Jimmy Snook angle in 2004, but I guess it was a thing that happened.
2: Yeah, when I was seven, I was like, um, actually, (laughs) he's a murderer,
1: so... (laughs) You were, you were a very annoying seven-year-old.
2: Yeah, and then then I said allegedly after that,
1: too. Mm.
2: Although I think he was persecuted and then died.
1: Which leads to the final story of the month. The Bill to Monsters Ball. woo So Hardy Monty involved Abyss and Raven interfering, which pivoted off until later in that show. Brian Gamble was making his entrance when Raven hit him with a chair. It was meant to be Abyss against Gamble. Raven complains about not being champ. He calls out Jarrett. Was about to hit his catchphrase when Monty attacked him. Abyss came out too. And then the defining part of their feud, they brawled.
2: Yeah, but to be fair, all these brawls ruled, including the explosion brawl. Yeah,
1: because it's just three guys who are big guys who want to fight. And that's cool.
2: I guess the backup here would have been if Monty was going to be in the main event, it would have just been Raven Abyss. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I like all this free being here. I, I love the Monster's Ball rules.
1: Yeah, so they introduced the Monster's Ball match it'll be Abyss against Raven against Monty. Monty does a promo this month where he seems to suggest Monster's Ball after it's already been announced.
2: <laughs> he wants credit.
1: Yeah, so there's like a video package that announces Monster's Ball and then uh, Monty's like, I'm introducing this Monster's Ball idea. <laughs>
2: yeah hey
1: man if you can get away with it do it the monster's ball rules which they are they will be locked in a dark room without food or water for 24 hours and then unleashed upon each other rabid to tear each other apart man raven looked awesome in those promos oh yeah and the ones building up or the ones in the room
2: both the ones where he was cutting promos in front of like I a, a, i don't know some haunted house extra room Looked awesome, and then the ones that looked like a paranormal activity scene looked fucking fantastic. Yeah, they
1: wandered around Universal until they thought they found a Raven-esque room for them to film in.
2: Yeah, good stuff. I'm really, I really like all the Raven stuff this Mm.
1: month.
2: Raven's great. (laughs) He really is great. He
1: is consistently one of the best things going on these shows.
2: Can't wait for him to win the title.
1: Impact, October twenty second. Monty beat Eric Stevens. Yes, that Eric Stevens in a squash match.
2: I loved it. Crushed him. Hit it twice. Hit the pounce twice. Awesome.
1: I did love when he hit the pounce and pulled him up for the the two count. The sound guy was thrown off. He played Monty's theme for a second. It's like... (laughs) Which actually kind of adds to it. Yeah, because even the sound guy was thrown off. Uh, Monty hit another pounce for the win. Monty called out Raven. Did what I believe was meant to be an impression of a raven. (laughs) (laughs) He was like... (laughs) I think he was doing a raven.
2: He should have rhymed the cause and done a raven doing raven.
1: Raven does go back to his, his rhyming promos this oh, month.
2: He hit a real awful one on like the second last yeah. show. Where he's like, mom's spaghetti, <laughs> knees weak, arms are heavy. <laughs>
1: like, the man is not a poet. But he doesn't know it. <laughs> Don't you rhyme. Do not rhyme the rest of this show.
2: There was a B, you see. No,
1: no, no. Uh, lights went out. Raven appears with a straight jacket. Monty pounced Raven. Lights went out again. Abyss had Monty in the shock treatment when they came back up. Monty fought off, but eventually got dropped with it anyway after being distracted by Raven and security separated them. Yes, sir. Uh, Monty, squash again.
2: I like how he gets the most of them.
1: He faces Eric Stevens and Mark Stevens. No relation because Eric is spelt with a V and Mark is spelt with a PH.
2: Mm. are you a ph guy or a v uh, guy i'm
1: more of a v guy. i don't respect the ph's
2: wow disrespect to my uncle i hate
1: acidity <gasps> uh, raven did the the rhyming poem before this about monster's ball and there was the video package before and it also announced monster's ball it was in a card rundown video
2: monster's ball takes a toll
1: <laughs> so monty comes out with a bag he pounces and kills stevens and stevens and pins both of them at the same time stacked on top of each other Pretty great. He cuts a promo on Monsters Ball. There's a straitjacket and an Abyss mask in the bag. He puts them on Stevens and Stevens and kills them again. He then calls out Brian Cox of the Best Damn Sports Show. And the crowd audibly
2: went, ooh. And two
1: big NFL stars facing off.
2: And then we hear a very mysterious voice. A
1: a definitely not unrecognizable voice at all. No one could possibly work out who this voice was hyping up Abyss, saying Abyss will destroy Monty Brown and he'll destroy Raven at the pay-per-view. Turns out it's obviously James Mitchell. And like, I was thinking, like, James Mitchell hasn't been on the show for over a year now. Well, not quite over a year, maybe under a year, what, seven or eight months? Was it February or March we last saw James Mitchell? Oh, we saw him under a hood that was never revealed. Yeah, so. and there was some new church stuff in, like, February-ish. So, oh yeah, when the gathering left. So it would have been February-March-ish. Because he managed the gathering for two weeks after, in the Raven feud. So we haven't seen him since then. So, like, benefit of the doubt, do people forget what James Mitchell sounds like?
2: To be fair, I think, like, some people would have known. But I, I give bet there was a lot of people who didn't put it together straight away. I
1: feel like the announcer should have, though. Yeah. Oh, they're playing Don. No, game. it's stupid that Mike Tenet and Don West aren't. I mean, like, that's James Mitchell. Maybe they didn't recognize. It's they could long. have just distorted the voice as well, and this isn't a problem. me leave him alone. No, fix your things. Uh, go home show. Abyss has himself a little black bag, Liam.
2: What could be in that bag?
1: Abyss faces Seth Delay, and he beats him with no delay after a black hole slam.
2: He beat him today. <laughs> Not yesterday.
1: There was no delay. He beat him. For Seth Delay. <laughs> anyway uh, a joke i liked so much i wrote it into the show notes uh abyss pin delay again just because monty interrupts abyss pours out the thumbtacks and monty looks rattled
2: he's like "Ooh, pointy little does he know it'll obviously be abyss going through
1: yes we establish a long-standing tradition of abyss being the one that falls in thumbtacks at that victory road raven does his promo then he's he's in that universal studios backdrop which looks very raven Talks about violence. It's awesome. Decency is dead, whatnot, and that the twenty-four hours it's locked in a room will either bring him clarity or drive him insane. And really it's the same difference.
2: I love this promo because at the end he like has a little twitch where he looks like concerned. Mm. <laughs> and it's like a little bit of vulnerability that you don't see from Raven's character very often.
1: So he will either mentally break or have a mental breakthrough. And either way, violence and will he, come. he... And he doesn't know
2: which one's the good one. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and that does bring us to Victory Road, November 7th. The Monster's Ball. We get promos from Monty and Raven locked in the room. We get a Abyss locked in the room making noises too.
2: Yeah, the Raven one looks so cool. Maybe we can get like a photo of it or some shit. But I I think this might be my favorite match on the show. Mm. I just thought this was awesome. It's just they just beat the piss out of each other. And the finish is insane.
1: <laughs> yeah, so we do have the mass mystery man watching on from the rafters. Who could it possibly be? Me. Uh Abyss takes his thumbtacks out, he pours them, then he goes to Superplex, Monty off the top, but then Raven power bombs him in the tacks.
2: Yeah. And look and hell of a tack bomb too, all in his arm.
1: Yeah, so he takes like the full back bump, lands on his knees, all the tacks go on his arm, and you can see immediately blood start pouring out from the tack wounds. It looks gnarly. Dixie is Disgusted. yeah they, they cut to the reaction shot there of Dixie and she's losing her mind she's like what have they done to my abyss <laughs> and I, as you mentioned uh, the, the finish so they have a table set up in the corner and a table on the outside Raven knocks abyss off the apron through the table on the floor and then literally they just cut back perfectly just so that you see Monty come out of nowhere to pounce Raven through the table in the corner pin him Monty wins Monster's Ball.
2: Yeah, um, it feels good, because like, it, I, I get why people like already wanted him in the main events, but at this point, but I think this was a very necessary win for Monty too.
1: And once again, he's here on pay-per-view in a gimmick match against two guys who are, have vastly more experience than he does, and at absolutely no point does he look out of place.
2: No way. And he gets a pin on Raven.
1: Yeah, he pins Raven, and it's one of the best matches on the show.
2: Yeah, if not the best.
1: Crowder going nuts, Crowder into Monty, Crowder into Raven, Crowder into Abyss, Crowder still into Thumbtacks because this is the first time we see Thumbtacks in TNA in general. Mm. First time somebody actually takes a Thumbtack bump. Yeah, great match just perfect thing like because this could have been just let's just throw these three guys we have nothing to do with on the show but it's like no we gave them a match we invented monsters ball which would to this day be one of the classic tna stipulation matches and we gave them like a meaningful story going into it where these are the guys who are the top contenders looking for the next shot and they want to tear each other apart because they're three big monster guys hardcore guys who are willing to do anything and everything to win and the match ruled great job top stuff yeah Awesome. And that is October, November, all the way up to Victory Road 2004.
2: We are riding the Victory Road.
1: Uh, Yeah, uh, a good month. Nothing blow away, but uh, I think I thought a very enjoyable month to watch.
2: (laughs) And also, if you haven't seen that first show, the first pay-per-view, the first real pay-per-view, I mean, go check it out.
1: Yeah, it's perfect to perhaps go to com and do a watch-along of it, huh? Wow.
2: That'll make the boring parts fun.
1: If you would like to hear more from us, we will be back in a week with our next episode of Review It For Her. There'll be a rain at some point. where we're talking WSX. Our next rain should be on the 11th. We'll see about that.
2: Yeah, we'll, we'll review the eight-hour Big Egg
1: Tokyo Dome show in honor of the Stardom crossover show. Well, no, we're talking about Power Struggle 2012, but with a huge Ro Takahashi main event.
2: Yes, we're just coming off a big huge Ro Takahashi singles match.
1: Uh, we might ask for a day or two flexibility on the date that goes up, but uh, we'll see.
2: Well, we won't ask. We'll just do it. Fuck you.
1: <laughs> That's true. We might uh, double header the the recording of that with Wrestling Society X. It might be a few days late, but it will be there in a uh, in like a week, maybe. <laughs> Eventually, you'll get it, (laughs) alright? You'll get your review of Power Struggle on Patreon as well, as well as Wrestling Society X. So many
2: goddamn shows
1: that we do! There's so much value! Plus our watch-along of Victory Road 2004. They're in full at tnhr.com, patreon.com, slash, kidding me. Also, worth noting, we should bring it up more often, we have the monthly billing thing, so you don't have to worry about when you sign up, when you sign up. Anniversary billing. Whatever it's called. When you sign- well, Monthly billing implies that it was the old version. (laughs) Whatever, it's the good one. The one that's good for you. Whenever you sign up is when you'll get 30 days as opposed to the annoying thing where it only rolls over at the start of the month. So you do not have to worry about when you sign up at tnh.com or patreon.com slash kidding me.
2: Maybe we splice that section into the start where we mentioned Patreon (laughs) because this is the end of a three hour podcast. Now
1: I have faith that our listeners will have listened all the way through.
2: You know what? We do get a lot of people talking about the bits where we're like, no one's listening anymore.
1: It's actually funny. You can see the, the stats, and people only drop off of the plugs at the very end, which maybe we should do a little earlier then. But...
2: <laughs> yeah, fuck you guys. Anyone who's listening, you're cool, best friends.
1: Yeah, Patreon.com. I love you. com. Uh, follow us on Twitter, at TNHistoryPod. Follow him on Twitter, at TheGleetMooder. Follow me on Twitter, at Kidney. We'll be back in two weeks with the Turning Point 2004 episode. Thanks for listening, and bye-bye.
2: Do damn thing. Woo.
0: Do you like wrestling trivia? Then check out the five-star match game, the Pro Wrestling Quiz Show. I'm Joe Gagney, and every episode, I grill three contestants with five rounds of power-packed wrestling trivia. We have over 30 evergreen episodes in the archives covering WWE, AEW, Japan, Mexico, and much, 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 much more. Play along at home and check it out today.